August 15, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Health Commission. President Bernal couldn't be here today, so I have the privilege of chairing. And it's delightful to see all of you here today. I think this is the biggest in-person attendance we've had since before the pandemic. And I also want to particularly acknowledge the presence of former Health Commissioner Marjean Sacco. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we will start with a roll call. Yes, I'll Secretary start with Murowitz. I'll start with you, Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Chow. Present. Commissioner Gerardo. Present. Commissioner Chung. Present. Wonderful. Now, uh, Commissioner uh, Gerardo will read the land acknowledgement. The Ramager Saloni Land Acknowledgement. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Raimatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, in accordance with their traditions, the Raimatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is approval of minutes of the Health Commission meeting from August 1st, 2023. And I believe there was some kind of correction. So Secretary Moritz, if you would share that with us. Yes, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, on page two of the, of the revised minutes, um, I have added a public comment from Mr. Robert Reinhard. And I apologize for um, erroneously leaving that out. Otherwise, the minutes um, stand before you as they were posted. Wonderful, thank you. Now, are there any other additions or corrections from the commissioners? All right, seeing none, is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. And is there any public comment? I believe before we start, there are some uh, notices for Secretary Morowitz to articulate. Yes, thank you. Um, for each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for the members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with the commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DBH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address. The word health.commission.dph at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name for the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received an accommodation for a disability. I have given each of these individuals a code to speak when they begin their comments, and I have given two people that uh, a code for today's meeting. Finally, we will hear from remote public comment from all other individuals. There will be a time limit of 20 minutes on the total amount of remote public comment that can be heard on each item from individuals who have not received an accommodation for a disability. So we are on item two, the minutes. All comments should relate to that, and I see one hand. Um, Jaime, please, or Jeanette, I'm not sure who's doing the public comment. Please unmute that caller. Yeah, Mark, it's Patrick Cody. Can you hear me? 
Yes, please begin. Shamefully, these minutes report that the August 1st meeting was called the order at 4.03 p.m. SFGOTV never has problems with its audio system, which was used as one false excuse when the meeting uh, began broadcasting online. It started without a call to order or the land acknowledgement. Taking agenda item five, the Health Commission's resolution number 2306, approving submitting recertification applications to CMS first, completely out of order. That deprived members of the public from knowing you changed agenda order items order, depriving them of an opportunity to testify orally remotely about the proposed resolution. Commissioner Bernal wildly claimed later on audio that there was an agenda quote unquote mixture up with two versions of the agenda trying to justify why the agenda wasn't taken in published order. That mythology was complete nonsense and spin control. The two versions of the agenda I had subsequently obtained both had the resolution agendized for the middle of the meeting, not the first agenda item. Commission President Bernal, as Sixth Commission's parliamentarian and Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff, should know about Robert's Rules of Order and agendas being followed appropriately. Furthermore, Commission Secretary Mark Morowitz earned total pay of $182,576 in the fiscal year, that en fiscal year that ended on June 30th, 2023. He's paid handsomely to ensure all audio and video equipment are functioning properly before meetings began by testing the equipment prior to the start of the meeting. This was completely shameful. Thank you. Right. I think that's the only hand that I see. Again, um, uh, we're on item two, the minutes. No other hands, commissioners. Right. Well, we will then move to a vote. All in favor of approving the minutes. Say aye. 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 Wonderful. Thank you. The next item is general public comment. I believe there's another um, notice. Yes, I have a little bit of a script. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each me member of the public may address the commission for up to two minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from others unable to attend the meeting. So um, just to summarize, th th this item is for uh, topics that are not on the agenda. We'll start with folks in the room. I have several um, people who have given me their card. And let's go with uh, Remo Morelli, please. And everyone has three minutes. When the beeper goes off, please know your time is up. And uh, please feel free to adjust the microphone if you if you wish. Should be okay. Dr. Green, members of the uh, Health Commission, 
My name is Remo Morelli. I am uh, the chief of staff at St. Mary's Hospital Medical Center, where I've been practicing since 1985. I respectfully request that the Health Commission take a closer look at the proposed sale of St. Mary's Hospital to UCSF to understand how the sale will impact patient care, the cost of health care in San Francisco, and the overall delivery of health care in the city. St. Mary's of San Francisco is the state's oldest continuously operating hospital founded by the Sisters of Mercy in 1857. In the past 166 years, St. Mary's has cared for victims of the cholera and the typhoid epidemics, the 1906 earthquake, HIV, AIDS crisis, and most recently the COVID-19 epidemic. We do not oppose the sale to UCSF. In fact, we actually welcome it, the union. But we ask that the Health Commission to help us preserve the services we now offer at St. Mary's so that we can continue to provide compassionate, affordable, patient-centered care in a community hospital setting by independent physicians. Through the Sister Mary Philippa Clinic, our residents and attending doctors care for thousands of individuals each year, including the homeless and the uninsured. The Macaulay Institute provides acute inpatient psychiatric care for youth and young adults in crisis, a service not available anywhere in San Francisco. Through our medical residency program, St. Mary's is the training ground for new physicians in internal medicine, orthopedics, and podiatry. Many of our residents remain in the Bay Area where they continue to provide services. We request that the commission closely monitor this sale by having UCSF provide regular updates to you and the public to ensure that they are keeping their word and maintaining St. Mary's vital programs and services. The loss of any St. Mary's programs would be detrimental to those most in need in San Francisco, shifting the responsibility for care to the city at a time when San Francisco can least afford to shoulder more of the burden. We do not want to see a repeat of Mount Zion Hospital and Children's Hospital in Oakland. In both cases, UCSF's decision after finalizing the sale resulted in major upheaval for doctors and patients. Within two years, all the doctors at Mount Zion had relocated, and now Mount Zion is no longer an acute care hospital. After their sale to UCSF, Children's Hospital of Oakland lost services, which were relocated across the bay to the Mission Bay campus. This forced patients to cross the bridge, incurring tolls and parking fees, and making access to care more difficult. Furthermore, studies have shown that the cost of medical care in Northern California is already 30 to 70 percent higher than it is in Southern California, and the insurance premiums are 31 percent higher due to the consolidation of medical services. The loss of community hospitals in the, is the one major factor driving these high medical costs. Input from doctors, patients, residents, and this commission are included as the sale most forward. I am confident that the same mayors can combine to thrive Your under, time is up. Thank under you. these circumstances. I thank you for listening. All right, Pamela Lewis. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Pamela Lewis. I am Chief of Surgery at St. Mary's Hospital and Medical Director of the Women's Center. Thank you to President Bernal, Vice President Green, and Commissioners for your commitment to the health of the city. The Women's Center at St. Mary's provides state-of-the-art breast cancer screening and diagnostic imaging to the community. We are the only center providing these services on the west side of the city. 
I come before you to ask that the Health Commission review and monitor the proposed UCSF purchase of St. Mary's and St. Francis. I understand that the sale is in the early stage, but as a private practitioner, I urge you to look at the impact the sale will have on independent physicians, programs, neighborhood access to care, service consolidation, and potential damage to ambulance response times. The UC Parnassus rebuild starts now and will be completed in 2030. To where will those campus services relocate during construction? UC has stated that one of the main reasons for acquiring St. Mary's is to manage their capacity demands at Parnassus. Where do they intend to send campus services? What will be sent to St. Mary's? Will the neighborhood MOU between the city and UC now be extended to St. Mary's, which are miles, and St. Francis, which are miles from Parnassus? How will any neighborhood impacts be managed? Will UCSF's future plans for expansion at St. Mary's be exempt from city regulations? What will happen to St. Mary's partners, Crestwood, the Behavioral Health Partnership with St. Mary's and DPH, and Kentfield, the long-term acute care facility? Currently, St. Mary's and St. Francis are full-service acute care hospitals serving the west and north areas of the city. Will the sale affect ambulance response times from the outer sunset, Richmond, Marina, and Chinatown if emergency rooms are consolidated at Parnassus? Not long ago, there were 19 hospitals in San Francisco. Each time a hospital was acquired, medical care was eliminated in a neighborhood and consolidated. The sale will lead to only four major hospital systems, SF General, Sutter, Kaiser, and UC. My colleagues and I are small businesses and our offices are in the neighborhoods like the inner and outer Richmond and Sunset. We may lose our choice to operate our businesses and thousands of patients may lose their easy and timely access to care. It is the perfect time for you to look at the broader policy issues and put the acquisition on the agenda for a future meeting. UC has stated they would like to close by the end of the year, so time is of the essence. I ask that you consider looking at the sale through the prism of your own health services master plan and the future direction of healthcare in San Francisco. In closing, thank you, President Bernal, for bringing Congressman Pelosi to St. Mary's and Commissioner Guillermo for your past service on the Dignity Board. Thank you to Dr. Lori Green for all of your care for women, myself included. And thank you for your attention to the proposed acquisition of these two important historic institutions. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room on general public comment? All right. Uh, we can move. I see one hand. Um, Jaime, please uh, unmute the caller. Mr. Benetshaw. Yeah, thank yes. you, Mark. This is. Um, public comment uh i'm addressing an issue not on today's agenda so please don't cut me off as i testified on august 1st during past health commission meetings roland Pickens has stated a division within sftph is conducting a study regarding expanding behavioral health beds in san francisco what SFDGH entity is conducting that study? Is its meetings open to the public? Per Pickens' previous statements during commission open session meetings, that work group is reportedly studying and considering whether to use space at Laguna Honda Hospital by placing separate cohorts of patients in Laguna Honda's two towers, traditional SNF patients in one tower and behavioral health patients in the other tower. Which health commission subcommittee will this report eventually be presented to and when? That report should have been issued before Laguna Honda applied 
for recertification from Sierra Mass. Why hasn't this commission answered these basic questions that I have repeatedly asked you about who is conducting that study, when it's going to be presented, whether the public will have an opportunity to comment on the study findings before they are finalized, et cetera, et cetera. And this commission has repeatedly refused to answer me or provide any further information about what is going on with that study. Thank you. That is the only comment on, on okay. remote public comment. So the next item on the agenda is Gregory Wong, Administrative Analyst, resolution to recommend to the Board of Supervisors to authorize the DPH to accept and expend a gift of a retinal imaging machine valued in the amount of $496,500 from University of California, San Francisco. Good afternoon, Health Commission members. Oh, please speak closer to the microphone, Greg. Sorry about that. Uh, good afternoon, Health Commission members. We ask for your approval for acceptance of this uh, retinal imaging gift from the University of California, San Francisco. This donation uh, from the University of California, San Francisco has helped the Department of Public Health conduct and facilitate comprehensive eye care for the city and county of San Francisco. Please approve the acceptance of this gift and Director Bruce Osana is happy to answer any questions that you might have. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve acceptance of the gift? So move. Is there a second? Second. And is there any public comment on this item? Is there any public comment in the room on this item? All right, folks online, we're on item four. It's the resolution recommending the Board of Supervisors to authorize the uh, DPH to um, accept a gift from um, UCSF. Please let us know by pressing star three. Okay, no hands, commissioners, on this item. Wonderful. This is great news because these imaging machines are so important, especially for people with advanced diabetes. So, um, our uh, we'll take a vote. All in favor of approval? No. Aye. Aye. Uh, I do have a comment. Oh, sorry. Sorry. And, and actually, it might be that uh, in your second whereas. Um, I'm not sure that it belongs there. Perhaps you could explain to me. It says the University of of uh, California uh, has notified the Department of Public Health that proceeds from the gift will be distributed. But I thought that we were getting the retinal scanner. I'm sorry, that was that was an error on my part. That, so there can we exclude that whereas? Yes. So I'd like to amend the motion to exclude okay. the whereas that uh, is the second whereas. Is before we submit it to the uh, Board of Supervisors. Is there a second to that? Second. All right. So we would approve. So vote on the motion to amend. And amend. then vote on. We'll vote on the motion to amend. So all in favor? Aye. 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 All right. And we're now set. you can vote on the full resolution without the amendment. We need one more vote. That vote was just for the amendment. That now we vote on the approval. You all vote on the all right, approval. All right, and let's vote on the full motion then. All in favor? Aye. 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 Wonderful. Thank you for that correction. And the next item also is the resolution to recommend to the Board of Supervisors to authorize the DPH to accept and expend a gift of $204,250 
from the Epic Systems Corporation. Thank you, Health Commission members. Uh, we ask your approval for acceptance of this gift from the Epic Systems Corporation. The donation from the Epic Systems Corporation is vital in helping our frontline medical personnel retrieve the most current information about their patients. Please approve the acceptance of this gift. And uh, Eric Raffin, who is the Chief Information Officer, is here to answer any questions that you may have. Is uh, there a motion to approve this resolution? So moved. Is there a second? Second. And is there any public comment? On is this there any item? public comment in the room on this item? All right, folks online, we're on item five. Please press star three if you'd like to make public comment on this resolution. I see no public comment, commissioners. And is there any uh, questions or comments from the commissioners? Commissioner Gerardo? Yes, it's the, um, just to follow up on what Commissioner Chow's, in the bullet, second bullet, it says the Epic Systems Corporation has notified the Department of Public Health that proceeds from this gift will be distributed. Or is it the proceeds or is it the gift? Uh, it's, it's the gift of... Um, okay, so sorry. we should amend this as well so that it's not the, the proceeds. Understood. So I propose that we amend bullet two, that the Epic Systems Corporation has notified the Department of Public Health that the gift will be distributed. Is there a second to that amendment? Second. And shall we take a vote on the amendment? All in favor? Aye. Aye. And now we'll vote on the whole resolution. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Great, thank you very much. Thank you so much. So the next item in the agenda is the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center closure pan and CMS recertification update. We have Roland Picklins, who is the executive sponsor of the LHH recertification incident command. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's a pleasure to be here with you this afternoon to give you an update on Laguna Honda and our quest towards CMS recertification. Next slide. So last week, uh, the California Department of Public Health arrived at Laguna Honda Hospital for an unannounced uh, survey. That survey focused on the areas of fire, life safety, and emergency preparedness. Uh, California Department of Public Health was there for a total of four days and on last Friday concluded that survey uh, and gave us their preliminary verbal exit report. Uh, that exit report uh, showed that there were very few findings of noncompliance and that those that were found were minor and uh, we are awaiting their uh, final written uh, exit report that is typically available ten, uh, up to 10 days after the closure of the survey and then we'll know for certain what the findings are. But preliminarily it was an excellent report, uh, very much improved from the last fire life safety survey they conducted in November, December of last year where, as you know, there were significant findings. And so in fact the surveyors commented on uh, the amount of improvement they saw um, from this past survey compared to the previous survey. And I think um, the improvement is a direct a result of all the hard work that the teams at Laguna have been doing, uh, particularly in uh, the facilities uh, department where we brought in new leadership and also in emergency preparedness where actually uh, the uh, population health division from DPH has actually uh, had their staff at Laguna for the last year and really uh, have 
um, reinvigorated the emergency preparedness component to the extent there were no findings in emergency preparedness. It was a stellar, flawless uh, uh, survey on their behalf. Uh, so we feel that I uh, wanted to share that good news with uh, the commission. Okay, going back to the first slide. Okay, Kenya, first slide. Okay, next slide. There we go. Uh, you will recall that um, a little over a week ago, uh, the uh, Health Commission approved a resolution authorizing Laguna Honda to apply for recertification. Uh, uh, in the um, Medicaid program. Um, accordingly, uh, as a result of that very positive fire life safety survey we had last week and the uh, good news in terms of limited uh, findings, uh, we felt that uh, that uh, great showing along with the uh, good showing we had in the health survey that occurred back in June really gave us the confidence that we were ready to submit our application for recertification. So on last Friday, August 11th, um, we submitted our application um, uh, that was um, allowed by virtue of your approval of the resolution at your August 1st meeting. Uh, the application is, is uh, with the California Department of Public Health, and we are awaiting uh, further communication from them on the status of our application. Uh, as you um, uh, can, are aware, um, that application to be reinstated into the Medicaid program is significant because the vast majority, over 95% of the residents at Laguna Honda have Medicaid uh, as their reimbursement source. So this is great news uh, when, and when we are uh, notified and be, are successful in that process that uh, we can, again, have most of our patients covered uh, through this process. We uh, anticipate that uh, there will be a survey um, in order to um, fulfill the requirements for recertification, but the submission of the application was the first step, and we're just waiting additional information from the state in terms of where that goes from here. Next slide. So I wanted to um, just continue to provide you updates on our journey towards recertification. We've submitted the application. At the same time, we are still required to uh, proceed with all of the other terms of the settlement agreement, which includes uh, fulfilling uh, the um, uh, action plan milestones related from uh, uh, emanating from the root cause analysis from that third 90-day monitoring survey, which occurred in June of this past year. Um, on July 12th, we submitted our action plan for that survey, submitted it to CDPH and CMS. They returned it to us with corrections. We have since made those corrections, resubmitted those to CDPH and CMS, and are still waiting on their final approval. Uh, however, uh, our work, even though they haven't given final approval, we are still moving forward on all those milestones with the expectation that they will be approved so that we make sure we are uh, gonna meet all of the requirements. Uh, as you know, we've been uh, doing milestones since January of this year, uh, over 500 of them, and we've never failed to meet a deadline and we don't expect to start now. So that's why we're still moving forward despite final approval. In terms of that survey that happened last week, fire life safety, uh, again, under the terms of the settlement agreement, uh, it will follow the same process. 
the CMS quality improvement uh, expert uh, health services advisory group will do a root cause analysis on those very few findings. Again, once we receive the hard copy final report, they will do that root cause analysis and then work with Laguna Honda to put together uh, an action plan in the form of additional milestones that we will then submit to CDPH and CMS asking them for approval. And um, typically they return them to us for comments and so we will again go through this process. Uh, so all that's going on while our application is at CDPH. So a lot of a lot of things moving at the same time, but we will continue to track them all. But I think they're all in support of moving towards recertification sooner rather than later. Uh, next slide. So one of the milestones uh, that's come out of each of our 90-day monitoring surveys is a really big educational fair at Laguna. Because uh, those surveys uh, typically um, are, uh, show us opportunities for improvement in terms of staff knowledge and education. So as we did with the two previous 90-day monitoring surveys, uh, we had a week-long um, hospital-wide um, education fair. Over 1,000 Laguna employees went through week-long trainings uh, in areas that were identified in the last monitoring survey. Uh, you see some of those topics covered, ab abuse uh, and prevention uh, and grievance response, uh, linen handling, meal delivery process, uh, creating a home-like environment for residents. You'll recall in that last monitoring survey, that was a new area of finding that uh, the survey team at that point asked us to do a better job of making uh, Laguna more of a home-like environment for its residents. So for example, they um, suggested that we begin to use tablecloths on the table during the dinner time, that we begin to take plates off the tray and put them on the table. So uh, that's an example of something then we had to train the staff with. That was something new. So you can't just turn that switch without doing proper uh, orientation and training with staff. And so that's what we spent the last, last week doing. I went through the class myself, so um, very up to date on those um, current topics. Next slide. Uh, and excited to uh, share with uh, the commission that uh, our new nursing home administrator, CEO at Laguna Honda, um, uh, has been designated as the Laguna Honda uh, Abuse Prevention Coordinator. This is a role that CMS and CDPH expect to have at each institution. And uh, our new nursing home administrator has uh, a lot of experience dealing with uh, abuse uh, and neglect allegations and has already hit the ground running uh, doing additional orientations and trainings with staff and helping to improve the ab abuse coordination, coordination process. Uh, as you know, all employees uh, and contractors at Laguna are mandated reporters. And so uh, part of the training we did last week was to remind everyone of that mandated reporter status. And uh, that's something we've done uh, consistently ever since 2019 when we had initial uh, issues in terms of patient abuse. And, and I think for those of you on the Joint Conference Committee, you've seen that because we've seen an increase in the number of reporting, which is good because we want, if people see something, we expect them to report it. Everything that's reported is investigated uh, to determine if there, is any, there are any merits to those. And if so, uh, those are also, um, uh, those reports are also reported to the California Department of Public Health and the state ombudsperson. Next slide. 
just an example of, of some of the uh, abuse uh, training material that was shared last week in terms of different um, um, different aspects uh, that constitute abuse. Neglect, uh, by definition, is a form of abuse. Uh, so making sure that staff uh, understand that you know, a, a resident who doesn't receive care as required or ordered by the physician, that uh, is an example of abuse. You've denied a service to a resident. So making sure our staff are aware of just all aspects of abuse and the required reporting. Next slide. Uh, also, we, uh, during that education process, we reinforced the uh, smoke and tobacco-free uh, status of, at, at Laguna. Uh, that smoke and tobacco-free uh, status applies to our employees, visitors, and contractors. Uh, it does not apply to our residents. Uh, under CMS rules, residents uh, have a right to smoke if they choose to. However, uh, we are, are required to have designated smoke areas for residents who choose to do that. Uh, which we have done. We have what's called Serenity Park, which is an outdoor area that is staffed by um, employees. And as you know, uh, over the years, previously, uh, residents were able to keep their smoking um, uh, products with them. That is, has not been the case at Laguna in a long time. All smoking project products are held by the organization and dispersed to residents uh, one cigarette at a time uh, as they request them. And they are closely observed in their smoking process. Next slide. So uh, one of the other uh, areas that uh, we are working on at Laguna is to really hearing more of the voice of our residents and their families. So to that extent, the patient experience team at Laguna Honda, uh, led by Jennifer Carden Wade and Ami Fishman, uh, are currently distributing a resident to our res a survey to our residents and their families to get more of their feedback in terms of uh, the care that's being provided, what's working well, what's not, and what are the areas for improvement. And we'll be sharing that information with the Laguna Honda uh, JCC. Uh, next slide. And then finally, this is a, a recap of uh, the most recent quarterly statistics in terms of a uh, number of um, discharges uh, and admissions and expirations. As you know, under the terms of the settlement agreement, we are not uh, accepting new admissions, so that's why that's zero. And discharges um, uh, relate to those individuals uh, that um, have chosen to do voluntary discharges either to home or to board and cares and other facilities. And this also shows the expiration total uh, during that time. So that concludes my formal presentation and I'm happy to uh, answer questions uh, or take comments at the appropriate time. Thank you so much. Is there any public comment on this item? Yes, I'll first check. Is there any public comment in the room for this item? All right, so folks in the line, we are on um, item six. I see one hand, but if you'd like to make public comment on this item, please press star three. Jaime, please um, unmute this, uh, Mr. Manetchal. Thank you, Mr. Morowitz. Neither the August 14th SFGov media statement 
and Mr. Pickens' letter to Laguna Hunter residents and family, nor today's presentation mentioned that Pickens had told KQED yesterday, quote, residents who were transferred to other facilities during the 2022 relocation process will receive priority to come back once the hospital can resume admitting new patients again, end quote. Is this health commission, in fact, prioritized repatriating these residents evicted out of county? What's the process for notifying those residents and their families they face some hope of being able to return to Laguna Honda? The second slide in the presentation today noted the Laguna Honda's application for, to obtain only Medicaid provider status was submitted on Friday, August 11th. Has the Medicare provider application been submitted yet? If not, what's the delay with that application? It's needed for admissions to Laguna Honda's rehab center beds in the pavilion building and for other reasons. Has CMS approved the action plans for root cause analysis reports number three, number four, number five, and number six? Have they been approved yet? When will our, uh, root cause analysis reports number five and six be that was mentioned in the QIE's sixth monthly report dated July 10th, deemed publicly released. Have all additional 120 monitoring survey and 85 non-monitoring survey action plan milestones that Mr. Bob, that, that Ms. Baba reported on August 8th all been accomplished yet? If not, how could Laguna Honda have submitted its Medi-Cal provider agreement application on August 11th if all 375 of those milestones have to demonstrate being sustained for some period of time to pass a Medi-Cal application survey inspections? You have not presented yet information that was submitted to the San Francisco Civil Service Commission outlining. Mr. Manetchaw. All right, I see two other hands. Folks were on. Um, uh, uh, folks who have received accommodation for disability should be raising their hand at this point, and I've only received two um, requests. So if you did not receive an accommodation, would you put your hand down, please, so we'll know who to call next? Great. Jaime, please um, unmute the caller. Hi, please let us know you're there. Hi, it's Dr. Palmer. This is WW Accommodation. Um, I, um, Mr. Piggins has told us about reapply, uh, applying to Medi-Cal without telling us what it really means. How does this relate to Medicare recertification? Uh, will um, submitting an application lead to a life-saving delay of the September 19th Date when CMS dictates that deadly evictions and closures must begin. 
Have there been discussions with CMS about that? What is going to happen September 19th? Also, we have heard nothing from you about the closure and eviction plan that CMS required from the state and was due July 31st. Where is that plan? Uh, what is in it? And uh, where does the state plan to send 500 nursing home residents? Um, the other thing I'm confused about um, is if recertification goes as helped, can you give us some idea of when admissions will restart? Uh, maybe a, a range? Um, we're really, you're not really kind of saying anything about that. The third thing is I don't understand how a nursing home administrator and CEO can also be an abuse prevention coordinator. If you're worried about retaliation, having your boss uh, be the abuse co prevention coordinator doesn't make any sense. And it's not like the nursing home administrator um, doesn't have enough to do. So I, I just don't understand why a separate and independent abuse prevention coordinator isn't being appointed. Um, I also would like to understand when the, we can apply for the 120 bed waiver. And I'd like to understand where is the guarantee that people who were discharged from Laguna Honda who are still eligible for SNF beds will be able to come back. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and then the last caller, please, Jaime. Hi, caller, please let us know you're there. Yes, hello, my name's Art Persico. I'm on the board of the SF Great Panthers. I joined Dr. Teresa Palmer of the SF Great Panthers in asking several questions. Number one, will the submission of the Medi-Cal recertification application of August 11th lead to a delay of the September 19th date when CMS dictates that eviction and closure procedures must begin? Two, regarding the September 19th 2023 Laguna Honda Hospital closures and evictions. Where will the state send 500 nursing home residents if Laguna Honda Hospital cannot improve in time for the feds and the state of California? Three, a San Francisco health commissioner said it will be impossible for the state to make a realistic closure plan because 500 nursing home beds that will accept Laguna Honda patients do not exist here in California. The Great Panthers in San Francisco contend that San Franciscans cannot afford to lose any more nursing home beds. And so all of Laguna Honda Hospital's beds must be recertified for use. Finally, when will Laguna Honda SFDPH apply to CDPH CMS for a waiver of the 120 bed cut based on the ratio of bedrooms to shared bathroom? These beds are all badly needed by the people of San Francisco and the architecture is modern and safe. Thank you. Okay, commissioners, that is the last public comment. Thank you all for your questions and comments, and we'll go to commissioner questions and comments. Mr. Chow. Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Pickens, thank you for the uh, very good news uh, that uh, we have applied for uh, certification and uh, or recertification on the Medicaid side. And could you then perhaps uh, elaborate a little on what we're kind of expecting off of that? In other words, uh, 
we've submitted that. We haven't, of course, submitted the Medicare one yet. I mean, what, what are the sequences for those? And and uh, where uh, you've been, I'm sure, working with the state, uh, giving us some sort of, uh, I guess, projection or timeline. Obviously, it's very much up to the state what they're going to do, as I understand. But um, to your best knowledge, you know, or are we getting a certificate tomorrow, or is it going to be next Christmas, or you know, um, and uh, what might we be expecting in terms of potential surveys and so forth? Thank you for the question, Dr. Chow. Um, so um, a lot of still unknowns. Obviously, by virtue of submitting the application for Medicaid provider status last Friday, um, one of the benefits of submitting it then is that we hopefully have given enough time between that date and September 19th, because of course, we all want to avoid any situation that would uh, even um, entertain uh, the notion of trying to transfer residents out of Laguna. So we're confident that by doing this more than a month ahead of time, it provides uh, the state and CMS adequate time to do whatever processes they would need to do to uh, do a survey process that would hopefully then be successful for us to um, um, be approved back into the program and then not have to implement any type of transfers. One of the things I want to remind the commission and the public about is remember that for our, uh, the submission of the application to the Medicaid program was for our skilled nursing beds. Uh, it did not include our uh, acute medical or acute rehab beds because those never lost either Medicaid nor Medicare uh, uh, status. Those have always maintained their status as Medicare Medicaid providers. So that submission last Friday was only for our skilled nursing beds, not our acute beds. Uh, in terms of then what's next, uh, we're, uh, we're waiting to hear back from the state in terms of our application to know, number one, um, uh, if it's um, uh, going to be uh, approved, and then what does that approval mean and when might that approval take effect? Um, if we base it upon the experience that we've seen to date and what we've um, um, uh, been planning for all along is that once we submit for application, we are preparing then for a survey. And that is what we are doing. We are telling staff now that when we've submitted that application last Friday, expect a survey any day now. And our, we would anticipate, again, that that survey would occur before September 19th because all parties have said there is no desire to resume uh, transfers. So if you do the math, that kind of narrows the window of when they might come out for a survey. So that is our expectation. In terms of Medicare, um, you know, we are definitely um, taking this one step at a time. We've submitted the Medicaid application. We need to get that approved, uh, whatever survey process. And then I think we can uh, determine then what are our next steps for Medicare. The good thing is the 95% or more of our residents have Medicaid. That is the, the major source. Uh, as you know, Medicare is not a major funder of skilled nursing facility coverage in, the, in this country. That is a Medi-Cal program. Medicare only provides a limited number of days, usually for individuals coming out of an acute stay uh, to have short-term uh, SNF status. And that's by far um, uh, not the case of most residents at Laguna. 
And so for even those residents who may have Medicare who originally come to Laguna, they eventually convert to Medic Medicaid or Medi-Cal uh, during that time within their uh, Medicare days. So we're continuing to work with both our finance staff and uh, our legal counsel in terms of uh, what are the next steps for Medicare? And as we get more information, uh, we will certainly keep the Joint Conference Committee and the Commission uh, apprised as we learn what our options are for Medicare uh, submission. Uh, if I may follow up then, uh, that I think is uh, very interesting. Uh, if we become qualified under the Medi-Cal program, then would it be possible to admit under the Medi-Cal program, patients that might need long-term uh, skilled nursing services without getting the Medicare uh, certification. So, so that, that, that is one of the questions we then have for the state. Once again, assuming a positive response on our application, once we are, quote, surveyed and back in the Medicaid program, uh, then our question will be, what does that mean for our admission status? And again, this is new territory for us. And so there's nothing on the books that says this is the automatic next step. So it's all about what is the communication and the direction then back from the state. Uh, but we obviously want to be back in a position to um, um, make Laguna available to San Francisco residents uh, as quickly as possible. So uh, along that line then, has the state actually shared with you the uh, proposed plan that they had that they were supposed to be submitting on uh, the end of July? Uh, no, and you recall that was a, a requirement of CMS. Right. And so... Um, um, <laughs> yeah, so nothing, in, in other words, you don't even know what was if it had been submitted to CMS. Exactly, yeah, they did not request any information from us for their plan. Right. So, so that's not anything we have in control, and and CMS hasn't informed you as to the status of that either. Correct. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, really uh, want to compliment the um, uh, process that uh, you have uh, undertaken during these several years uh, with your teams to uh, be able to bring us to this point where they're uh, moved from you know, almost hundreds of potential areas of concern, some of which were very high risk as a, uh, uh, and now to have uh, achieved in that third monitoring survey, plus uh, now your fire and safety and emergency survey, uh, uh, really uh, what appears to be minimal uh, uh, concerns. Uh, very important that we be 100%, of course, uh, for the benefit of the residents. But I think it does show the track that you have all taken uh, may well uh, now be coming to uh, fruition in, in terms of all the very hard work so that your, your, your entire staff, I'm sure that uh, I'll leave that to the uh, commission uh, chair here. Uh, uh, to uh, reiterate uh, uh, certainly our feelings uh, from members of the Joint Conference Committee for the uh, amount of work uh, that has transitioned uh, Laguna into uh, this uh, level of skilled nursing facility. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Chow. Uh, Director Colfax. I just wanted to um, also acknowledge the moment of uh, applying for recertification. It's been a long journey and 
thank uh, Mr. Pickens and his team and every every um, person who works at Laguna Honda and the residents for their uh, leadership and work in this area and just acknowledge that you know things um, the fact that we had a, another survey last week um, with regard to fire life safety and emergency preparedness and that those findings were minimal um, again really reflects uh, how far um, the institution has come and that's not based on what I'm saying or what Mr. Pickens saying it's based on what the surveyors actually told the team so just to acknowledge that yes thank you well I think all of the commissioners want to associate themselves with the comments of Commissioner Chow and Director Colfax and you know this really is a milestone when we think back to where we all started and I think there's so many stakeholders who have had such a profound impact on this. We are so grateful to you and all the DPH staff members that came from other divisions, as you said, the Population Health Division, the General, all these individuals who have worked tirelessly, who have worked weekends, who have you know selflessly left their other responsibilities while still doing them in the background to help lead us to this point. And then, of course, the City Attorney's Office has been so helpful and cooperative. And the patients and their families, this has certainly been a roller coaster ride for them. And they, it's just remarkable how they've maintained their equanimity and loyalty to the institution. Of course, the union partners have been remarkably cooperative. And I have to say, the members of the public who continually support us, they remind all the administrators and bureaucrats that don't live in San Francisco how incredibly important this precious institution is to the citizens of San Francisco. So I think it's been uh, in, in, in a time where there's so much contention in the world, the idea that I think everyone has marched in the same direction to try to reach this point. And you know, I've probably left some critical stakeholders um, out of my comments. Commissioner Bernal would not have done that. But I think I speak for all of us in saying that, that, that this is a real milestone, milestone and we appreciate the hard work and we're really very grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you. On behalf of the team at, at Laguna, we uh, appreciate all of your comments. Thank you. So the next item on the agenda is the Joint Commerce Committee uh, report. The only one we have is for the Laguna Honda JCC and Commissioner Chow will um, tell us about that. Yes, sorry, uh, Chair Tessie uh, Guillermo uh, was unable to be here today and asked that uh, I, I give you, and, and it will be brief because uh, uh, at, at Laguna, as you've heard, there were surveys almost literally every week. And that week on July 11th, there was another survey. And that one required that uh, staff really uh, be present to uh, be all hands on deck for it. And so therefore, our agenda was truncated. Uh, due to their involvement in uh, this regulatory survey. Uh, the committee did approve the minutes and we discussed and recommended that the full commission recommend the, uh, uh, that uh, the full commission approve the policies in the consent calendar that's on our uh, agenda for item eight, uh, pending responses to a number of commissioner questions. So we'll discuss that when we get to item eight. Uh, as there will be some changes uh, to that item that that we've been re, uh, that we will uh, then discuss. The JCC also then discussed that the emissions policy uh, be brought back to the JCC six months after implementation uh, on the corrective version that uh, had come out from the JCC and is before us today. So um, 
that uh, ends my report, and the majority of the work was really done in uh, reviewing the 60-some-odd uh, uh, policy, uh, uh, policies that we were submitted. So uh, thank you. I'll be happy to answer any questions, but it's a very short. It was a short agenda, but it was a very long meeting because of the policies. So thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Yes, sir. There's extreme public comment in the room on this item. All right, I see two hands. Uh, we'll take those who've received accommodation first. So again, if you've received accommodation, please. Okay, I think there's some people in the room that raised their hand. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. So this is on the Laguna Honda JCC report back? I'm sorry. So this would be about report back on a, from a meeting that took place at Laguna Honda about the joint conference committee? All right, so I'll, I'll give three minutes, and when the buzzer well, goes off, please know your time is up. Oh, well, all right, thank you. Marvellous Lucas, I was a, a resident of uh, Laguna Honda for about a year, and it is very well needed. And the, the care up there at that time was really good. Uh, and the people were excellent. Um, didn't have too many problems. Um, however, with that being said, I know there's, I just wanted to reiterate some of the questions you had for the gentleman, and I commend you. I know that's a hard job up there. Love Laguna Honda and general, by the way. Um, I think one of the, the participants ca uh, called and they were talking about patient, patient abuse, which I, I didn't experience that up there. However, with that being said, I, I would believe it would be a bit of a conflict if he's the employer and head of the abuse uh, over the patient's abuse. Just want to kind of reiterate that that's imperative because we don't want any barriers to if they're experiencing that. No, nothing against you. Um, the second one, uh, the, uh, to reiterate was <clears throat> with all these things for recertification what's the contingency plan if it's not done in time to be uh, certified by Medi-Cal, Medicare, etc. Yeah? And then lastly, I think which is important, what is the real, because right now we don't know, we hope, we're wishful, we're sitting here with 500 patients, right? And if it could become real, where do they go? What happens in that, just in case none of this works out? That's real consideration. Those are 500 human beings. And that was pretty much it. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in the room? Yes, please. Oh, yes, okay. Hi, I'm Shirley Holmes Box. And I just wanted to uh, first say that um, I've been here all my life, uh, six decades plus, and Laguna Honda is just a given. It is part of a San Franciscan institution that this is the prime example of how it brought someone who was went in there almost we didn't know what the chances was of him coming back and once they have to go through this extensive rehab Laguna Honda was there so I never thought in my life that I would have to even think about Laguna Honda being closed down. It was just one of those natural um, institutions here in San Francisco that we took advantage of and that we knew was there. If we were not um, able to uh, care or provide the care that our family needed, we had Laguna Honda, a loving institution that we all supported. Now, lastly, I wanted to say that this he's very humble, the humility suits him, but not me. 
Um, he's the president of the Young African American Leaders, and they, it's important. Look where him rehabbing from Laguna Honda has put him back in the community to give back. And then lastly, I want to say Art from Grey Panthers, uh, please pay attention to the questions that they put forth before you. And then at another point, we'd like to see some answers to that. We know protocol that you're not able to answer those questions with this. But please, you know, um, uh, note those and uh, underscore those and um, uh, have that something that you want to answer. And thank you so very much for your time and service. All right, anyone else in the room? Okay, thank so. you so much for your really eloquent description of what Laguna means to all of us. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that will be in public record. Now, who's on the line? Yes, and we've got one hand. Jaime, please uh, unmute the caller. Hi, hi uh, commissioners, it's Patrick again. So Laguna Honda, uh, August 8th meeting, report Commissioner Chow delivered did not acknowledge removal of the three agenda items had been entirely unnecessary under the claim that Roland Pickens had to stay on site at Laguna Honda. Although CDPH showed up unannounced, it appears CDPH only conducted the fire life safety and emergency preparedness program survey inspections. Surely, Laguna Honda's new CEO, Sandra Simon, could have filled in at Laguna Honda for Pickens for a couple of hours. Alternatively, Laguna Honda's co-incident commanders, Balji Sang uh, and Troy Williams, could have attended the JCC meeting in Pickens' place. You didn't have to cur curtail that August 8th um, agenda in the meeting, which, is, which appears to have been a ruse to cut the meeting short to avoid public transparency and accountability. Commissioner Chow also didn't report, I testified on August 8th, that as you went into closed session, I noted that had the September 3rd, 2019, quote, 60-day Laguna Honda reform plan, plan, end quote, that Troy Williams and Dr. Colfax had co-written to address the patient sexual abuse scandal. If that plan had been more robust and effective, Laguna Honda may have avoided decertification three years later. And finally, I want to uh, mention that Laguna Honda's application to the Civil Service Commission to acquire another $18 million in potential grant, I mean, consultant hiring authority, uh, clearly outlined the four-month period that it takes following submission of applications to CMS and CDPH that you have to have a survey, then you have to wait another 90-day, quote, reasonable assurance period, end quote, followed by a second full inspection survey before you are actually granted recertification. 
this commission and Mr. Pickens needs to clearly explain to people that it will probably be a good four months from last Friday, August 11th, before you get the green light. Thank you. That's that's the only public comment. Any commissioner questions or comments on the Joint Conference Committee report? All right. Barring none, we'll go to the next item, which is the consent calendar. And for this item, we are supposed to approve um, or um, exclude a number of policies of which there are 63. And because of um, various discussions, we've divided these into three tranches, some of which the commission can approve uh, today and others which require further discussion. Now, because of the complexity of votes, uh, Secretary Morowitz is going to lead us through this portion of the agenda, and we'll, we will give you the floor. Yes. So, again, folks on the line and those of you who know our procedures well, this is unusual that we're uh, pulling it out, but we've checked with the city attorney, and this process has been codified. You are, uh, the commission, in a moment, will begin to separate out two batches, um, um, and in the end, there'll be three total batches that the commission will uh, consider today. The public has the ability to comment on all three batches. So know that you will have the ability to comment as you go forward. So let's move forward with Commissioner Chow, I believe has a motion. Yes. Um, uh, the motion is to uh, uh, extract the following from the consent calendar, which by the way has something like 60 some odd items. And uh, our extraction in the first batch that we're talking about, which actually the consent calendar is batch number one, so that everybody can track where we're going. What I'm hoping to extract with uh, the commission's approval as a group is the following, the uh, as batch two, which is policy 2014 leave of absence and bed hold, policy 2006 out on pass, policy 2301 resident care plan, resident care team and resident care, and policy 22-07A01 restraint free environment. And we wish to uh, 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 bring those as a separate topic under uh, th those four as uh, batch number two. Uh, so uh, I suppose, uh, should we take a vote on that first? Yes, sir. So yeah. that was a motion. And is and there a second need to a the second. motion? Second. Now for public comment. So folks on the line, if you'd like to make public, uh, actually, yes, if you'd like to um, make comment on batch two. In fact, I'm going to, give me a second, I'm going to post um, these batches so that you can see what we're doing, so that we're being as transparent as we possibly can. Okay, so we're currently on batch two. Um, the commissioners are going to just dis discuss them and vote on them separately. If you'd like to make public comment on that item, please do so. Um, gosh, I can't see the, shoot. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, I'm Well, we haven't, we haven't actually extracted it, so I'm not sure we can, the public comment, if we're going to take public comment, is on whether to extract. Right, exactly. It's well, just whether to extract. 
Yeah, the public comment was to be on the actual content, but we can do it, the public comment at either time, depending on. So um, I, I, I would suggest that we talk about which ones we're going to extract first, and because then the public could really comment on the items that are being extracted. Sure, because because you will be going back to vote on each batch. Correct. So yeah, so why don't you go ahead and vote on the extraction of, of the two categories, and then we'll go back to right. each of the categories. So so I would suggest that we first take this one. Uh, to extract, and then we will go and extract a second batch, and then we'll explain the reasons for the extraction. Let the public then discuss each of the, any of the three uh, that we're going to be taking up as we go ahead and take each one up. Yes, thank you. So then we would take up those that were not extracted, then uh, batch two and batch three, so that the public can then uh, make its comments on the policies in batch one, batch two, and batch three. I think that'd be much clearer. Yes, sir, that, I think that sounds great. So, uh, so it sounds like there's been two motions and all you needed to do right now is vote on the extraction of batch two. Right, at, at the moment we're on batch two and uh, we should see we wish to extract that. Right, so. As a batch. All right, so. May we take a vote, or uh, would there be public comment where they no, public no, comment no. will come later. Later, yes. okay. All right. Yeah. So, all in favor? We, of extracting. We're merely extracting now, okay. and then we will continue to accept public comment on all the issues, so that the public is not being excluded. Right. So, all in favor of extracting batch two, say aye. 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 Now we'll go to the next motion. Right. The next motion is to uh, do uh, uh, what we will call batch three, and those are then uh, four items. Uh, number 2-01, which is the admission policy, batch, uh, and, and number two is the 2022-2023 security management plan. I believe that's actually numbered 75-10. Uh, then food and nutrition scope of services, that's 1.01. And lastly, uh, payer eligibility certification, 55-01. So there's a motion to extract batch three. Is there a second on that motion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right, so there are two batches have been extracted. Um, the procedure is to go back to the, uh, to the original consent calendar, so those that have not been extracted, and for you to take public comment, and then you vote on that. So we'll first take public comment on the items that have not been extracted. I'm gonna quickly flash um, the, those that have been extracted again so the public is trying to onboard with us, because I know this is a bit confusing. So uh, members of the public, these two, the, um, the policies that the commission is going to vote on in a minute are those that are not included on the list that I'm posting. These have been extracted for other discussion and vote. All right, so I'm gonna take this down because I can't see both the public comment and share this. So if you'd like to make public comment on the, um, the, uh, the other items, which are called batch one, the consent calendar, please let me know. Anyone in the room would like to make comment? All right, I see one hand. Jaime, please unmute that person, Mr. Manette Shaw. Yeah, please begin. Mark, Mark I want to comment on the admission policy 20-01. Can I do that real quickly, please? No, sir. That will be uh, that will be batch three. All right. Thank you. Okay, so um, commissioners, now you, that was the only public comment, you can consider a vote on the consent calendar, which is batch one, those have not been extracted. Is there a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Second. Any questions or discussions from the commissioners? Then all in favor? Aye. 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 Great. 
So now we go to um, batch two, which again, I will um, flash so that you all can see. This includes the leave of absence, the out on pass, the resident care plan, and the restraint-free environment. We will take public comment on that. I, is it okay if I'm saying this, Commissioner Green? Well, absolutely. Okay, I'm just trying to help because this is a bit confusing. Well, uh, would you like an explanation it, yeah, as let's to why we chose batch two? Yes, please. So that then public comment could also uh, reference that. Batch two has been chosen because as we had put forward from the joint conference that we were putting together the entire batch of uh, 60 some odd items that was pending the fact that we were going to be uh, seeking responses to questions that came up during the JCC. So questions that came up during the JCC did uh, respond partly to the items in part batch two, but uh, we did not really have a chance to review them all. However, there was not a question related to the operations of these items and these items are needed in order to validate that the operational process uh, would be uh, in place in policy, especially now we've uh, asked for certification and are going to uh, need to show a current policy. So our rec my recommendation is that we will accept these as they are operationally correct but the areas that the commission had spoken to, that joint, uh, the joint conference committee would like to uh, review those and be sure that uh, they uh, responded uh, accurately to what was said. So we are asking for a vote of approval with uh, this then, uh, uh, well, we're asking for the delay of the, let me see, uh, I just got to make sure we got two batches here. Yes. May, may I step uh, in and help you, Commissioner right. Chung? Yeah, yeah. We're going to vote on these so that we can vote today on the, on the operational process. And we will then review and bring back uh, our uh, modifications at our next meeting. At the next JCC meeting. Uh, yes. This one's for the next JCC. Yes. Okay. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, so JCC will review them again to be sure the comments that we received last night accurately reflect or else we might bring forth a new revision. But we believe that the operational part of the uh, policy should really be approved at this point. For all we know, you know, tomorrow they're going to come and recertify us. So we want to have it in place. And if I may add, commissioners, um, part of the reason we're separating out these batches is so that the public can also see the proposed revision so this isn't done behind closed doors, that everything is up and up. And so we're trying to be as transparent as possible. We know it's confusing, but this is part of the process to be as transparent as possible. Yes, and some of these corrections and these policies were simple sentence structure, a few words that were ambiguous. You could tell the spirit, but we thought it would be most appropriate to make the... Uh, the written word much clearer so anyone reading it would understand not just people who work at Laguna and we definitely want to respect the public's ability to read every word of these policies and feel comfortable with them and have all their comments taken into account so uh, so uh, so public if you all can do a motion to approve this and then I'll take public comment and then you all can move forward I would move uh, approval of this batch is there a second I can all right, and now public comment. Yes, yeah, so we're looking at, uh, I'm going to flash this again. We're looking at batch two. If you have public comment on these, um, please let us know, anyone in the room. And we thank you for your patience. We know this is a bit arduous for those of you who are not here for this item. 
Okay, uh, I see no hands, Commissioner, so you can go ahead and vote. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Batch three. Batch three, three, yes. So in um, batch three, uh, these were not as critical. Uh, we uh, need, and the public needs time to be able to review the revisions that were made in this. So our proposal, uh, my proposal is that we delay these until our next commission meeting, uh, which would make sure that the corrections that were being made were being seen by both the public and the commissioners who asked for those uh, uh, corrections so that uh, um, they're uh, prepared to be moved forward on the September 5th meeting. Yes, so please motion. Um, uh, so I would move that uh, we uh, would delay consideration of these policies until September 5th. Is there a second to that motion? Second. Now right. we'll take public yes, comment. Yes, anyone in the room would like to make public comment on this item? All right, we've got two callers. Um, Jaime, please unmute caller two first. Yeah, hi, Mark. It's Patrick. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Please begin. All right. I think I understand you that this admission policy is going to be delayed until September 5th, but I do want to comment on it today. Although there has been some progress made in revising the admission policy, it's still problematic. Prioritizing the quote-unquote flow of behavioral health patients from SFGH is a higher priority than disabled and elderly San Franciscans languishing in out-of-county and non-medical facilities who are prevented from receiving school care in their own community at Laguna Honda is still obscene. San Franciscans dumped out of county or in non-medical facilities who qualify for SNF care should be granted admission priority to Laguna Honda over SFGH, quote, flow project, end quote, patients. Other San Francisco hospitals should also be allowed to discharge patients to Laguna Honda too, rather than dumping them out of county. And Laguna Honda residents who were evicted out of count of facilities following Laguna Honda's certification should receive priority to return via repatriation above all other patients. Laguna Honda Census as of July 22nd was 496 patients. It's probably less as of today. When admissions can resume, the Health Commission must mandate Laguna Honda managers rapidly repopulate Laguna Honda to 780 patients through an aggressive repatriation outreach program. I commend Dr. Chow and the commission for uh, apparently recommending that once this policy is adopted, that you want it to be reviewed six months from now, and I'm going to hold Dr. Chow and this commission to that hopeful promise. Thank you, folks, and I'll let you go for the night. All right, please mute Jaime and unmute the next caller. Hi, this is Dr. 
can you hear me? Yes, please begin. Yeah, it's Dr. Palmer. I um, uh, really feel that if you're going to prioritize the return of uh, San Francisco residents that were transferred out of county, that you should do that in writing. And um, either ones who were transferred out of county because they were evicted in 2022, or ones who were transferred out of county because they couldn't get a bed at Laguna Honda because of the admission shutdown. And um, certainly uh, SF, the Department of Public Health needs to work assertively with, and the mayor's office and everyone needs to work assertively with other medical and long-term care providers to increase in-county long-term care capacity of all kinds, long-term mental health care, uh, a long-term substance abuse care, as well as long-term traditional skilled nursing care. We, we should not be pitting one community in need against another. But meanwhile, elderly and disabled San Francisco residents who need uh, nursing home care should be individually pr prioritized. And I don't see why uh, San Francisco general patients have priority over other patients who may be less safe. Um, even if they're not um, so unsafe, they've had to do an APS report or they're, they have public guardians. I think it should be individualized. Um, Laguna Honda is a public facility, it's a county facility. Elderly and disabled people who wanna stay in their community, um, there should be an even playing field to, for those beds. Um, you have a waiting list, it's many years long. Um, it'd be nice if you'd be transparent about how long it is actually. And um, I, I really, I don't wanna wait six months. I think this should be um, revised now before it goes to vote. Thank you. All right, that's the last public comment on this item. Someone in the room, uh, Secretary Murowitz. Oh, yeah, sir, would you like to come up? Uh, September 5th. Oh, sir, there's not back and forth. I'm sorry. No back and forth. Uh, so if you all, I'll talk to the gentleman. If you all, oh, you're going to move forward. Okay, great. I can't follow how this comes up, but how does the lawsuit Chambers versus Laguna Honda where Laguna Honda is supposed to assist people in returning home. I don't, I haven't seen any evidence of that. How does that fit into all the rest of this? Chambers versus Laguna Honda. Laguna Honda is supposed to assist patients in returning to their homes to age in place like every agency and organization now recommends. In the last century, disabled people were all sent to nursing homes. Now they're supposed to age in place with home care. Thank you for comments. Is there any additional commissioner questions or comments? So uh, we have before us a motion to delay consideration of policies in batch three until December uh, the September 5th meeting. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Wonderful. Thank you, Secretary Mormitz and Commissioner Chow.
for having my back and carrying us through this so efficiently and thoughtfully. The next item on the agenda is revisions to the Health Commission, uh, sorry, the Health Code Article 31 regulations. And for this, we have Patrick Fostal, who is the director of the Environmental Health Branch. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> good evening, Commissioners. It's my pleasure to be here. I am Patrick Fossil. I'm the Director of the Environmental Health Branch at the Department of Public Health. Uh, just by way of a reminder, the Environmental Health Branch is the regulatory branch for the Health Department. We enforce all of the uh, various health codes. I think you heard from Jonathan Piakis a couple weeks ago about Article 38. Uh, I'm here tonight uh, or this evening because we're proposing to amend one of the regulations we enforce, and those regulations are for Article 31. It should be noted that we are not proposing to amend the actual ordinance. Uh, Commissioner Grant, to get a question on that. We're actually uh, just proposing uh, to amend the regulations tonight, uh, which requires uh, a vote of approval from the Health Commission. If we were amending the actual ordinance, we would need to go to the Board of Supervisors and the whole legislative process. Uh, next slide, please. So this slide should look familiar from uh, Jonathan's presentation a couple weeks ago. This shows where we're located uh, in, the pop in the Department of Public Health. We're in the Population Health Division. I'm circled on there. And I uh, report to Dr. Susan Phillip, who is the director of the branch. She's also the um, health officer for uh, San Francisco. And I'm going to be um, asking her to address some questions when I'm done that were raised by the Community and Public Health Committee when we met with them. Uh, next slide, please. This is the uh, environmental health branch organizational chart. Um, you can see it's fairly large. I think we have over 30 different uh, programs that enforce the health codes. Again, uh, this evening we're going to be talking about one of those, and that's Article 31. Uh, it's circled on there, and we currently have uh, Amy Brownell, uh, who has been uh, running that for, uh, I don't know, over 30 years. Uh, she's being replaced uh, because she's retiring at the end of August, and we have uh, her replacement, uh, Bill Chen, uh, here tonight. Uh, it's one of those rare opportunities where you get to hand off the torch uh, while the person's still here. So we're hoping for a, a seamless transition there. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, we're going to be covering the Health Code Article 31 background just to give you a reminder of what that's all about. What does Article 31 do? Why the amendments are being requested? What is being amended? And uh, the public comment solicitation process that we went through uh, before this evening. Uh, next slide. Uh, this map should look familiar uh, to some of you. This is a map of the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard. Uh, the Navy purchased the property in 1939, and it covers a total of uh, 936 total acres. Uh, only 493 of those uh, are on land. The rest is underwater. That red uh, kind of squiggly line uh, that you see there uh, represents the original shoreline. Uh, the Navy extended this to create the current footprint in 1941 by excavating land from the surrounding hills uh, to fill the bay. So you can see just how much of that property is, uh, is landfill. Uh, in 1974, the shipyard was decommissioned and was designated a federally listed Superfund cleanup site uh, in 1989. Uh, at the federal level, the EPA is providing the regulatory oversight of the cleanup work uh, on this federal property. 
At the state level, the Department of Toxic Substance Control and the Regional Water Quality Control Board are also overseeing the cleanup work. Uh, as noted on the map, uh, you can see that it's been divided up into parcels. Uh, there's new uh, alpha um, designation on there, A to G. Uh, those represent the different parcels um, that this property has been divided up into, and they did that uh, because there are unique uh, cleanup issues around each of those parcels, and the idea is that uh, once they're done, they're going to get turned over to the city uh, one parcel at a time. Um, the ones that are yellow there, A1 and A2, are the only parcels that have been turned over uh, to the city. Uh, that was done back in uh, 2004. Uh, A1 has largely been uh, developed at this point with uh, housing, and A2 is in the process of, um, of, build, of building itself out at, at this time. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, just by way of background uh, regarding Article 31, um, uh, San Francisco has something called the Maher Ordinance, uh, which you may have heard of, that was uh, passed back in 1986. And the Maher Ordinance requires soil testing and remediation of contaminated soil prior to the issuance of a building or grading permit. Uh, the ordinance is found in San Francisco Health Code 22A, which is also enforced by uh, public health. However, at the shipyard, because it's federal land, uh, that responsibility falls to the EPA, uh, the Department of Toxic Substance Control, as I previously mentioned, and the Regional Water Quality Control Board. Um, so the city uh, advocated um, for a robust sort of Maher-like process for the shipyard, recognizing that we weren't going to be involved in overseeing the cleanup from a regulatory standpoint. We wanted to have um, an ordinance and regulations for um, overseeing how the property was developed once it was turned over to the city. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that the only two parcels that have been turned over to the city so far are A1 and A2. Um, all right, Article 31 is necessary to ensure that things like deed restrictions, dust plan requirements are not violated during property development. Again, we're not proposing to amend Article 31, just the implementing regulations, um, which, as I mentioned, were originally passed back in 2005. Uh, next, next slide. Uh, in a nutshell, Article 31 and its regulations ensure that when property from the Naval Shipyard is turned over to the city for development, that it's developed in a way that ensures public safety. Uh, this is done after the EPA, DTSC, and the Regional Board have all ensured that the property is safe for development. Uh, but as I mentioned, development can involve activities like digging in the ground, uh, creating dust, and importing soil onto the site. So Article 31 anticipates all this and requires the seven reports and plans that you have listed uh, before you. Um, that's required for uh, all parcels. And then there's certain circumstances where the reports and plans listed there, 8 through 11, would also be required, but not on every parcel, depending on um, what activity is taking place. Uh, just to give you an example, number five uh, listed there is the soil import plan. And this plan is needed to ensure that only clean soil is brought onto the site uh, by a developer. Uh, the regulations uh, that we're proposing this evening will automatically require uh, the current most stringent testing requirements for any imported soil. Um, so that's an important change. Uh, next slide, please. 
All right, so why amend the regulations? As I said, we're proposing to amend the regulations primarily as an administrative cleanup. Uh, we feel that it's easier, uh, or we feel that the easier we can make these regulations to understand, the better it will be for the public to follow. It will also make it easier for all the stakeholders to understand the process, which would include not only the public, but consultants, community organizations, and developers. The uh, first 18 years, we had only five applicants go through the Article 31 process. Um, and those were for those, again, parcels that were marked in yellow, A1 and A2. Uh, but we anticipate moving forward uh, as the property is cleaned up that we're going to have a lot more uh, potential parcels turned over to the city. Uh, so this is a good time while we're sort of in this in-between stage to make uh, changes, uh, amendments to these uh, regulations. Um, our best guess is that the timeline there is maybe uh, eight years out for the next parcel. So it's a slow-moving process. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so what is being amended? You should have a description um, in the packet that you were provided with that lists all 12 changes. Uh, it was attachment two, and I think Commissioner Chow, you had some questions on that. It looks something like this. Um, so that's a, a detailed description of the uh, of all 12 areas that are um, being changed. But I think it's easier for the sake of the presentation if we summarize those 12 into four different categories, and they're all very administrative by nature. Uh, the first one is we are reorganizing the regulations so they read better. And we added a definition section that wasn't previously there uh, for key terms. Uh, number two, we've updated the regs, uh, uh, to more, which more clearly lays out the elements required in the plans and reports. As mentioned, there are seven plans and reports required for all the Hunters Point uh, parcels. Um, and then there are some additional ones that are required, as I mentioned, for um, specific instances, maybe where parcels or if a building uh, is being demolished. Um, in addition, and was mentioned earlier, we are adding language that automatically requires the most stringent chemical screening criteria be applied for any imported soil. Uh, the EPA, uh, DTSC, and the regional board will periodically update these, and this provides for an automatic way of requiring uh, the most current. And then lastly, the boundary map uh, for Article 31 has been updated to reflect just the redevelopment area. Uh, the old map included uh, a railroad area that extended outside the boundary area. And I think uh, Commissioner Chay had a question on that. And I don't know if you saw in your packet, um, there are essentially two maps. Um, there's this first map, which includes this tail that I've highlighted here. And that's that railway, rail, railway spur that um, is outside of the development area. So the updated map, the only change is that um, that tail is, has been removed. So that area that goes outside of the redevelopment area uh, isn't included. As I said, the, uh, the changes we're proposing really are uh, administrative, uh, kind of like some of those items that you were uh, discussing earlier in the meeting. Uh, we're trying to make it uh, easier to follow, um, and this is a, a good opportunity to do that. Uh, next slide. Okay, our public uh, comment and outreach um, is summarized here. I should mention that we originally posted uh, for public comment back in March of 2020, uh, and then the pandemic hit, and so there was a delay. Uh, so we did another public posting in March of this year, 2023. Um, both times, emails uh, were sent out to over 1,500 stakeholders, which included community-based organizations, um, as well as people who had 
had expressed an interest in uh, affordable housing uh, and others who had expressed interest in opportunities at the, at the shipyard. Uh, we also posted the notice in the San Francisco Examiner and our, and our website. Um, the posting on our website uh, had been up since 2020, uh, so very long period of time. Um, and we received uh, essentially no comments during that time. So I think that speaks to the sort of administrative uh, nature of what is being proposed uh, to these regulations. Um, next slide. This is a uh, slide shows an example of the email language that was sent out. Uh, next page. And then this is uh, a copy of our webpage announcement, um, which includes links to uh, Spanish, uh, Tagalog, and Chinese. Uh, again, as I mentioned, it's been posted um, for three years uh, with, I think we got one comment, I should take that back, and somebody sent us a poem, so it wasn't really relevant. Um, so just to reiterate uh, why we're here, we're here asking uh, that you pass a motion to approve these uh, proposed amendments to the regulation for Article 31 uh, this evening. Um, having said that, I know that there were some questions from uh, the community health uh, committee members when we met with them uh, earlier, I think that was uh, in July. And uh, so I'm gonna turn it over to the health officer, Dr. Phillip at this time. Uh, and then I think there'll be time for questions after that. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, Susan Phillip. I am the director of the Population Health Division and the health officer in San Francisco. And uh, the Population Health Division, of course, includes the Environmental Health Branch led by uh, Director Patrick Fosdall. We also have an extensive responsibility for community engagement and, um, and collaboration in trying to improve health. And our focus is on health equity and continues to be on working towards health equity. And uh, to that end, um, I have with me, I'm very proud to be able to introduce a new position, a leadership position at the, in the Population Health Division, uh, Deputy Director of Population Health uh, for Community Health. And Asa King is our first Deputy Director for Community Health. So I say that to say that um, the, the colleagues that we have in Population Health, the people that I work with, the experts, both have expertise in the regulatory and the technical aspects of the work um, that has to happen at Hunters Point uh, Naval Shipyard. But we also care deeply about the, the community um, connection, the community work and the aspects of, of that. And we know that there is um, longstanding, um, very uh, strong and um, well-informed advocacy by the community that lives around Hunters Point Naval Shipyard and we welcome the opportunity to continue. Our goal is, to, again, to work for health equity in this area and in all areas of health. We know that there are multiple areas in which there are health disparities among the neighborhoods in the southeast sector of the city, including the neighborhoods around Hunters Point Naval Shipyard and among black African-American residents in San Francisco. And the goal, my goal as the director of the Population Health Division and uh, Deputy Director King's goal is to work collaboratively uh, with communities to address those disparities. Um, Director Fostall has, has stated you know, uh, the, the roles that we have at certain phases of the cleanup 
of Hunters Point Naval Shipyard and our regulatory role comes into play once the land has been turned over to the city. But regardless of that, we know that we have a responsibility to communicate and collaborate with residents of the city, whether or not we have the direct cleanup or the regulatory role right now, which we do not for the, for the shipyard. What we are committed to doing is continuing to build on the long, uh, the long history of work that has happened within the department, within other departments, but also with the community, and, the, and, and to start from that um, long basis of history and work, and to build collaboratively, to, to meet with community, and our role is certainly to advocate with the, the, the Navy as the primary cleanup agency, with the regulatory agencies, for clear communication, for timely communication, to make sure that we can understand and that we can uh, make sure that it is um, clear and accessible to the public in a timely manner what new information is emerging. So our commitment is to, um, to meet with community, to talk with community, to understand the concerns and to advocate for clear communication um, on these very complex uh, topics and very long-standing topics. So I think those were the, the, the primary points uh, that I wanted to raise. And again, to recognize the long-standing history of appropriate concern and expertise within the community that has been focused on Hunters Point Naval Shipyard. And we look forward to partnering with them to continue these conversations and to, to again, be an advocate for clear communication and, um, and for transparency as these processes move forward. Thank you for these presentations and welcome Mr. Chen and Deputy Director King. Thank you so much for being here. I believe we need to entertain a motion. Uh, yeah, yes, approval? before there's any, uh, well, it looks like Commissioner Dorado has a comment, but but before, but generally before commissioners comment, you do a motion, then we take public comment, but I'll leave it to Commissioner Dorado to, I'm not sure what you wanted to say. I just wanted to bring up something. Go ahead and vote. I wanted, before we vote, I wanted to bring a couple oh. of things up. First. Sure, so uh, motions, then public comment, and then we go to you all for those comments. Is there a motion to approve um, the presentation, to approve the update on the regulations for the Health Code Article 31? Is there a second? Second. All right, now we will go to public okay, great. comment. So um, those uh, of you who are online, please raise your hand by pressing star three, but we've got a couple of people I know, at least in the room. Um, and we'll start with Tonya Randell. And I apologize for mispronouncing names or um, doing my best. So everyone's got three minutes and when the buzzer goes off, please know to finish your statement and your time is up. Thank you. My name is Tonya Randell. I am the Administrative Director of Marie Harrison Community Foundation for Social and Environmental Justice. Every time I hear something about health and the Department of Health, I look around and try to see what they're doing, are they really taking care of us? In Article 31, there is nothing about testing residents to see if you know the dust has contaminated their lives, their children, and affected their health. My biggest concern is the disconnect between industry and the community. Um, we already have 40,000 units in San Francisco that are unoccupied. 140% of high-end homes have been built. Only 35% of low-income and moderate incomes, such as teachers, only 
Where we live, it's very dangerous. The environment, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the environment. Even if you bring in new soil, once that soil gets wet, whatever's under the ground is going to come up. My concern is that we need a full cleanup. My concern is that we do not need housing on contaminated land. My concern is while housing is being built, the community is second. Our health is second. And that needs to stop. Because whatever goes on in the Bayview Hunters Point uh, District 10 will travel all over San Francisco, San Jose, the East Bay. We are one people. And we need to con consider the health of our communities. And in this regulation, I don't see anything that has to do with testing people. I've been tested. I have a high rate of arsenic and manganese in my body. I don't have any idea what that's going to do to me. I'm almost 60 years old, so it's not going to be good. We have people who have died from lack of health care. We don't have enough health care, and it's not targeted. What are the standards for the health of the people? Have those been created? Because I went all through this about six or seven times, and I didn't see anything. Everyone in this room is going to be affected by every time. Everyone in this room is going to be affected every time that land is moved. Every time it rains and it peels up, every time trucks, diesel trucks go through and kick up the dust, some residents have had to move out of their homes. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you very much. And I apologize. I can only read the first three letters of the next person. The last name is Harrison, and I see A-R-I. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Arian Harrison. I'm the ED of Marie Harrison Community Foundation for Social and Environmental Justice. I'm glad to be here today. I know that some of you guys have heard my story already, but I'm here to repeat it. Um, we have a saying in the neighborhood, hood is who sent you? Yeah, and I mean to say that, you know, to be a little sarcastic, but also to say that, you know, the San Francisco Public Depart Department of Public Health, we need you. We need you to look at this community from a, from a real serious health lens. It's one thing to be, uh, to have people that you're supposed to protect on your watch on paper. However, what has actually happened in transparent Tyrant since the 1940s all the way to 2023 is a shame. It is a shame. We have people, I'm thinking about my kids, we have people coming up positive for PCI-24, uranium and plutonium exposure. How could you miss that? If you're not testing human beings to see whether damage to that has already been done in the community, then you're not doing anything. We know notoriously that people don't respect us when they're moving stuff. Matter of fact, they don't even respect the new homeowners that moved in there with the hope and their dreams put into their, their, uh, their properties that they bought to make surplus income. Because we found our radioactive markers up under their home, that's why we were able to successfully sue. And win that case, so that's not let that uh, that that's not lose sight of that as well, you know. Then we have the fences that go up that go up in the communities when people's anxieties are high. I don't think a fence is going to be any kind of dust barrier for anybody. I don't think a fence is going to be a dust barrier for anyone. 
We have the highest rate of respiratory lung disease, asthma of children and adults in District 10. We have the highest rate of cancer amongst adults in District 10. We also have young ladies at the age of 20 and younger that are diagnosed with breast cancer. How about that? Who imagined that? There's a woman that lives close to the, uh, the Navy shipyard that has a brain tumor and her, her animals have body tumors. Is that coincidence? And if it's not the truth, then investigate it. I'm challenging you to do the work. I'm challenging you to test human beings that actually have lived there and put in some form of repair for the harm that has already been done and stop mis misleading people that are moving in. You can't put pretty over a mess. You have to take into the science that, uh, that they're saying the projections for sea level rise, because that's going to be a problem for all of Californians and San Franciscans as well. Every, what's going on at the Navy shipyard would affect every shoreline community. Follow the science. I believe that you guys went and got your degrees and you got your health, your health professionals. We need you to not to protect the properties. We need you to protect human beings. Everybody has the design for what they want to do in the community. We want pretty parks and spaces. And I'm not opposed to, to any kind of thing that's going to present equity, but health is equity. And we have to mean that when we're saying it. Thank you much, very much for having me today. I'm a long-term Bay, uh, Bayview Hunters Point resident. My name is Arian Harrison, and I'm the uh, ED of Marie Harrison Community Foundation, Inc. for Social and Environmental Justice. And my community is Holloway County. We live. Is there someone else who would like to make public comment, please? If you feel comfortable saying your name, please do so. Good evening. My name is Camila Elam, and I am with All Things Bayview. Um, and I just have to want to first thank you for giving us uh, the grace um, as you hear us um, fighting for our lives. I find myself again behind a podium begging for my life. Um, I just want to start off with um, the inadequate and inaccurate um, statement on the memo, which states the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard is a federal Superfund site and is actively being cleaned up by the Navy. That is a mistruth on your first line. Um, they plan on capping radioactive toxic waste at the shoreline um, as we are facing climate change, uh, sea level rise and groundwater rise. Um, and again, um, I appreciate, um, you know, Miss Susan Phillips coming up here, but she reminded me of a caregiver taking care of a hospice patient as they are waiting to die. Um, as a third generation impacted Baby Hunters Point resident and frontline mobilizer and organizer, I'm deeply, gravely concerned that your amendments do not include cumulative health impacts as people are dying and surviving to live a shortened life expectancy in Baby Hunters Point. I just want to emphasize that we need Article 31 to address the lack of legal protective fence lines along the western boundary of the base in the region of Parcel E2 landfill radioactive panhandle. As a kid in, in the early 90s, I was able to just easily access the shipyard. And in 2023, uh, the children, our youth, are able to access the same contamination um, uh, 
on a regular basis. Um, medical monitoring and surveillance of the shipyard workers and residents within one mile perimeter on the base. We have folks coming to us telling us that after they've worked or doing their work at the shipyard, now they're coming up with cancer. Uh, the accuracy and adequacy of independent retesting for radioactive soil contaminants. Of, cor of course, the trust is gone after Tetratech. You guys got to do better. We got to do better. And the need to fortify the parcel E2 landfills and specifics of human health screening criteria. Now, as the Navy is covering up dangerous levels of radioactive toxic waste, um, on a, over over more of a 40 acre formal naval testing site where I live is the real walking dead during this summer alone I have witnessed childhood friends who've been my neighbors um, with their health gravely declining and baby hunters point we are walking yesterday in a wheelchair today and dead tomorrow so please thank you for hearing us out and, and as you are amending 31 please consider um, our our demands as well thank you Right. Is there anyone else in the room? Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Ahimsa Portisum Chai. Uh, in December of 2004, uh, I spoke before this Health Commission uh, in opposition to the ad ad adoption of Article 31 uh, as an ordinance. And my concerns uh, were borne out in 2010. Uh, by the uh, report of the Superior Court Civil Grand Jury, which identified the conflict of interest uh, that exists, uh, that is codified in Article 31. Uh, Article 31, of course, uh, generates revenue from earth-moving activities at a federal Superfund site uh, from the uh, master uh, developer. And we have documented, as you're well aware, uh, numerous instances in which that a conflict of interest uh, has uh, led to uh, activities that are corrupt. Uh, I know that I've overwhelmed you uh, in uh, 23 years uh, with email uh, communications. I'm going to make my statements short and concise, and I'm going to give you an update to the geospatial mappings that the Hunters Point Biomonitoring Foundation has uh, conducted. Uh, that uh, uh, identify the clusters, the chemical and the radiogenic cancer clusters uh, that are densely uh, sited around the shipyard's front door, the main entry, and the western uh, uh, fence line, uh, the panhandle. You'll be happy to know that uh, the work that I so uh, carefully and dearfully uh, have been conducting since uh, 2019 is being confirmed by the Greater Bay Area Cancer Registry. Uh, but as uh, referenced earlier, uh, there are two women with radiogenic breast cancer. That is what the Atomic Bomb Survivor Registry uh, describes in women who are under the age of 30 at the time of diagnosis. They're most frequently women who were exposed during childhood uh, and early teens when the breast has high mitotic activity. The cancer clusters include a 10-year-old boy who died of a diffuse pontine glioma in 2021. There are three childhood cancer deaths that should be considered suspicious uh, and wrongful. There's a minister with two brain tumors in his brain. He lives 
Prince and uh, has a church his father built on Oakdale, a quarter of a mile from the western fence line uh, of the base. Uh, there is a woman who was alluded to earlier who has multiple brain tumors uh, and her dog died of a sarcoma, uh, a cancer uh, that is linked to uh, radiation exposure. There are cancer clusters in building uh, 830 where the UC, UC residents are. There is a UC, excuse me, employee who just underwent uh, surgery for colon cancer. He has thallium and manganese in high concentrations. There's thyroid cancer uh, and there are pulmonary nodules uh, in the UC compound. The police officers have brain cancer, lung cancer, thyroid cancer, and sarcoma in two service dogs. Uh, these findings are irrefutable. It is time for you to accept that people are being exposed to ionizing radiation from nuclear waste, people who are living within feet of a radio, uh, radioactive landfill. So I'd like to leave this to you. Thank, thank you. Could you bring, oh, yes. Could you bring it over here? Thank you. Mm -hmm. Would anyone else like to speak today? Thank you so much. All right, so we can move. There's two hands, I see. Um, uh, we'll start with um, caller 11, please, Jaime. My name is Art Persico, and I live in San Francisco, and I'm on the board of the San Francisco Great Panthers. I'm Myself and the Great Panthers, we are allies who want to bear witness to and support the painfully eloquent and well-informed public comments made by Dr. Simkai, Camila Elam, and Arianne Harris, and, and others today, all of whom unfortunately have first-person experience with the tragic contamination and consequent damage to their land and themselves as residents of Bayview Hunters Point. I support the Bayview Hunters Point community's request that the commission delay their decision on Article 21, 31, excuse me, until all issues related to Article 31 are addressed. And they are, number one, the lack of legal protective fence, fence along the line, the western boundary of the base in the region of the parcel E2 landfill and radioactive panhandle. Two, the need for medical monitoring and surveillance of shipyard workers and residents within the one mile perimeter of the base. Three, the need has been met for independent retesting for radioactive soil contaminants. Four, the need has been met to fortify the parcel E2 landfills. Five, the need for specifics and human health screening criteria has been met. Please convey to the commissioners, I request that the commission delay their decision on Article 31 until the community members who live in Bayview Hunters Point have adequate time to consider all unresolved issues relevant to Article 31. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, um, Jaime, please go to the next caller. Hi, caller, please let us know that you're there. Yes, I am Carol Harvey, a San Francisco human rights and civil rights investigative reporter focused since 2014 on a neighborhood of San Francisco, Treasure Island. I call Naval Station Treasure Island and Naval Station Hunters Point Siamese twins. During a Navy meeting on Wednesday, October 21st, 2015, I asked Amy Brownell, radiation specialist on a naval base parallel to the one on Hunters Point, specifically former Naval Station Treasure Island, that SFDPH conduct a health survey of Treasure Island residents. During the intervening eight years, SFDPH has not conducted that survey. Treasure Island is in fact an official Superfund site. In the 1980s, the EPA gave Treasure Island the Superfund identification number 
PA 717-002-3330. Treasure Island Surplus Hazard Ranking Score for toxins measured twice the amount required for Superfund status. The number qualifying it for Superfund status is 28.5. Treasure Island Score was 5178. The Navy has openly stated that during 53 years of their use of toxins on Treasure Island, radiation, chemical-grade weapons, and heavy metals like arsenic and lead have saturated Treasure Island soil and groundwater. These toxins are concentrated in former burn pits underneath Site-12 Navy townhouses, which are currently inhabited by Treasure Island residents. Again, Treasure Island is a neighborhood of San Francisco. I've observed among Treasure Island residents I know personally many cases of asthma, life-threatening respiratory diseases, heart failure, heart attacks, spontaneous bleeding, strokes, seizures, tumors, blood diseases, purplish rashes and bleeding, itching skin sores that ooze lymph and blood and never seem to heal, cancers, hair loss, even on pets, painful swollen legs and feet, lupus erythematosus, spontaneously breaking bones, fragmenting teeth, loss of extremities, amputations, intractable back pain, kidney removals, unexplained panic attacks, and death, all of which have been attributed to toxin exposure by the residents themselves. Should SFCTH conduct a respectful, non-intrusive, home-to-home survey, residents living on Treasure Island right now may risk talking to you. Such a survey has been long suppressed. It should be conducted immediately because the truth will inevitably come out, but after more Treasure Island residents become sick and die. The results of this survey must be made available to the city of citizens of San Francisco. Thank you, Ms. Harvey. Your time is up. All right, Jaime, please uh, unmute the last caller. Hi, um, this is Dr. Palmer. Um, I really think you should not vote on this today. Uh, you should look at more information that is available. It doesn't make any sense to build on poison land and to put people on poison land. It doesn't matter how big the profit might be. And you need to uh, do medical monitoring and surveillance of workers and residents in the area. And you need independent testing of the radioactive soil contaminants. The dust will poison everyone who lives there. Uh, no one in their right mind at this point would move to Hunter's Point if they had any choice. Um, uh, I, I beg you, delay this vote. Don't vote on this. Um, collect more information and don't uh, maybe even find a way to give this land back to the Navy until they really clean it up, which may not be possible. Okay, thanks. Thank you. That is the last uh, hand on the remote, and there's no one else in the room. Right. Well, so thank you all members of the public for expressing your really informative and legitimate concerns. We very much appreciate your being here and telling us your story. I believe there are commissioner questions and comments. Commissioner Gerardo. I'd like to just bring back our um, discussion with uh, 
the community and public health um, committee and how we were requesting follow-up. And um, some of the information that you gave us, Patrick, today was, was very helpful in um, what we had requested. But what we had said specifically in the minutes was that we approved this with the understanding that DPH would provide more information about community safety concerns. And I really appreciate, um, Dr. Phillip, your feedback on the community uh, needing the, the feedback. I guess one of my comments too is when with the 1,500 emails that you did and with all of the publication, et cetera, I'd really like at this point in time to consider a community meeting, like people in person, um, where the community members could, could gather um, within the Bayview community to discuss what their um, safety concerns are. I don't want this to be another unmet challenge, you know, that the community faces. The other thing that we had um, discussed uh, as well is that we would um, really like to see comparative health data uh, from the Bayview-Hunters Point area um, as how the, the health data compares to the other neighborhoods within San Francisco. And I know that that is, I believe it's available, but I think that would also is what we had talked about in looking at the update on um, the community safety concerns. And if we could have what we had dis discussed as well, a um, update, obviously I, fully aware of the vacancies and some of the, the difficulties with all the departments. But if we could get some of the updates, obviously not soil data or anything that's you know specific because that's really not our purview. Um, but within um, a three month timeline so that we would have what Commissioner Christian, um, who's unable to be with us today, as well as uh, Commissioner Chung here will um, that is what our request was from at the committee meeting. I agree. And, and thank you for the presentation. Thank you for the public comments. Uh, I don't think the microphone. Thank you for the presentations and thank you for the public comments. Um, as a former human rights commissioners, I've heard this issues over and over again and my my hands were tied at the time because it wasn't our jurisdictions you know like to to compare health data you know on the health um, human rights commission but now you know I, I think that because I have the ability and and commissioner Christians have the ability we just want to make sure that we investigate like um, the public wants us to do, you know, by comparing the data. So we're not responsible for, you know, the toxic soils, you know, like we're not responsible for the um, initial cleanup, but we should be helping the residents who have health concerns to hold those who are, who are accountable. So, so I just want to 
put that point forward and, you know, to really make that as a statement. I don't think that people are saying that we did that to the community. But if we continue to look the other way, then we're not doing our job. So, so yeah, so if three months is too short of a time to get some of these updates, please let us know, you know, what's, what's a, like, reasonable working timeline so we can really start looking at this and not... Uh, not excuse me, th this is not a time for public comment. So we can, like, continue to look at this, you know, because they are part of San Francisco, and we want them to know that they are, and they're not forgotten. Mr. Chow. Yes, I... Um have heard uh, uh, the issues at Hunter's Points for, for many years, and, and, and uh, I do think they do deserve uh, further hearing uh, on and, and further investigation and uh, uh, be able to try to resolve some of these problems that have gone on for, for these years. Uh, we've heard conflicting reports back over the past several years about whether or not, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, cancers heard of and so forth are or not related uh, directly to uh, the uh, contamination and and, and, and so uh, I, I think I have uh, two uh, uh, two thoughts that have come from this discussion um, one actually is related to uh, the public health uh, and equity issues and obligations on the part of the department to uh, uh, perhaps review, uh, not perhaps, but, but to review again where we are with uh, the uh, uh, health of that population and whether Article 31 has a, is a mechanism to try to resolve that or that there are other mechanisms that really do. Um, the, the other thing I think that, uh, so, so I do think that's an important topic that we should not lose. And uh, whether we then carve that out separately as versus what this is, which is really, as I've read, merely a restatement of where we are right now, but written in a clearer fashion uh, for the uh, public to be able to follow. And so I think there are two issues. I think by bringing the regulations back to us, it again raises to our awareness the problem that we've never really fully resolved and that we need to take that on. Uh, and I think it is of concern. We're, we're adding new units over there. And, and uh, apparently they're much closer than the ones that have been built out in, in accordance to this map. Uh, but. Uh, Regardless, I mean, there are people uh, who really are still on this map that uh, are in a property, and, and we've never, from a public health standpoint, I think, fully resolved uh, the reasons for the disparities that... I, I, I think there's a separation. Uh, we shouldn't get this mixed up with the, the larger African-American uh, disparity. Uh, this is very specific to Hunter's Point. I think uh, one of the speakers have also brought up whether or not, uh, it's the first time I heard that Treasure Island might be more suspicious. But if we could bring that all together in some way and, and bring it so that we can really look at the health issues regarding that. Now, regards to that, uh, this actually before us today uh, is actually a re 
a, a, a uh, simplification to some extent uh, of the regulations. E each of the points that uh, director has shown us actually merely sort of move the administrative code around the way that they are carrying out the current Article 31. We're really basically talking about how else we could strengthen or improve uh, our uh, oversight. But Article 31 does exist. And uh, our department here is trying to assist people in trying to move through Article 31. Uh, and uh, th that's what this, uh, I, I believe the request here is, is to actually rewrite the regs. Uh, and, and so I think we can do both. We can rewrite the regs for what they are right now, but keep the topic of valuable and actually agenda as uh, Commissioner Gerardo has desired and have it maybe, you know, uh, vet it over at the uh, uh, joint, uh, not, not joint conference, but at our committee level, truly the public health committee, uh, and uh, prepare it for presentation back uh, to us all here. So I, I would uh, actually personally favor voting for the simplification and the clarification in the regulations that, that are uh, related to the administration of Article 31 and then take up again the public topic and have it vetted through our uh, public health committee and brought back to this commission with a time certain. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. And that's what our committee had recommended oh. is that the organizational administrative changes um, we had approved, but with the understanding that the information that we're requesting on community safety concerns and now and with the health data, et cetera, be brought back to us at, at three months or whatever Dr. Phillip feels is possible for that um, information because it is a, we've all three of us, um, Commissioner Christian as well, felt that we had, um, we all share a significant community concern that yes, we're not in charge of the map, but we are in charge of monitoring um, the health of what is happening. And that's where we were concerned about the community safety um, concerns that, um, and so that was our recommendation. Yeah, I hope everyone in the community, I think uh, Commissioner Chow did a very good job of summarizing the issues that there are certain things within the purview of the department and some that are not, um, that this article was passed by the Board of Supervisors. And what we're trying to do is make its execution easier and clearer for those involved. But we absolutely have a responsibility to monitor the health of our community, uh, especially in light of the fact that 
it isn't really within our purview um, to assess the soil or do some of the things that are really within the EPA and governmental realm outside of the Department of Public Health. So I guess I would ask Director Colfax and um, Director, uh, Deputy Director Phillips what you think would be an appropriate timeline to try to address some of the issues, including the community meeting and bringing back the data that I think will probably be clarified in the um, minutes of the Community and Public Health Committee. So I appreciate this, and I, I just, Crankle-Fax, Director of Health, and thank you, Commissioners, and I want to acknowledge uh, the comments from um, the public uh, today and, and uh, make sure you understood that you are heard and the department appreciates your comments and that there is much more to be done with regard to the issues that you raised today. Um, I think also just in hearing, if I'm interpreting the Commission's comments, um, Right, I mean, there's the Article 31. This is a basically administrative update. There are both potential concerns around Article 31 that could be brought back to the commission depending on what the next potential steps are, which is more community engagement around the Hunters Point shipyard and potentially around the broader issues around the health inequities in the Bayview overall. Is that what I'm, okay. And so the, am I hearing, sorry. I think Article 31 is not the end-all, be-all um, regulations. But, you know, we, we can approve the administrative side of things. But I think that the discussions that need to come back is what are we able to do and what are we, what is not in our purview to do, right. you know, like in order to achieve like better health outcomes and health equity, especially racial equity, you know, like for Bayview residents. So I hear that. So thank you. And so if I, if I may, with, with regard to the direction from my, what, as I'm interpreting the direction from the commission, could Dr. Philip and I um, talk about this? talk to other PhD leadership, come up with a community engagement plan with a timeline and report back to either the subcommittee or to the commission about how that would move forward, um, which, which we could do. Um, I could talk to Dr. Phillip uh, around the report back, but I just want to make sure that uh, we do it in, in a responsive way to what I'm hearing from the commission and um, also certainly from the community members as well. Does that sound fine with the members of the subcommittee? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, I know, but that's it's a one-way conversation. We would certainly reach out to community members, including those um, who uh, have 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 been engaged in this issue for for many years. Any other commissioner comments? Yeah. Well, I think then that we we should proceed, and and I would suggest that we, uh, you know, um, uh, vote in favor of uh, the. Uh, uh, conference, the uh, uh, Public Health Committee's uh, uh, affirmation that they believe this administratively, this is uh, uh, something that they endorse, uh, and then ask for um, a report back to them in three months. Does that sound reasonable to the members? It, it does, but I'd prefer uh, Dr. Colfax and Dr. Phillip be able to give us the timeline maybe by the next meeting of what you think the that correct meeting, the correct time frame should be, if that works. 
at the direction of the commission, we will do that. Thank you very much. So thank you everyone for all your insights and comments. And I think it's appropriate to ask for a vote. So all in favor of approving the updates to the regulations of the health code, Article 31, please say aye. 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 Very good. Thank you, everyone. Um, now, may I yeah. say one thing? Um, folks who are here visiting, uh, or, or I'm sorry, who are here from the public, if you would like to, I'll, I'll give you a piece of paper. If you'd like to leave your email, I can update you with agenda so that you're aware of meetings and you can keep abreast. I, I want to make sure that we're in communication, so I'll come over to you after this. But um, And please feel free, once we do that, to pass along other people's emails to me or my email to those people, too. In case some people have to leave, Secretary Morvis, you just want to um, tell individuals what your uh, Oh, sure. Is. Yeah. I'll come over and do this again, but my email is Mark, my name is Mark, M-A-R-K dot M-O-R-E-W-I-T, like Tom, Z, like zebra, at sfdph.org. But I'm going to bring it over to you all. And I, it's published online. Um, I will uh, make sure that it's published with this, um, this uh, meeting's page. Thank you so much for doing that. Now we'll go to the director's report, Director Colfax. Good evening, Commissioners Grant Colfax, Director of Health, with my August 15, 2023 director's report. Um, I will just summarize some of the um, components in the director's report and answer any questions you may have. First of all, I wanted to um, highlight uh, a film, a documentary around uh, uh, San Francisco's COVID-19 response. The film is titled The Heart of Access, and this is uh, a film uh, from the San Francisco Department of Public Health Center for Learning and Innovation, the COVID-19 Task Force, in, in partnership with OLU8 Film and Culture and All Thrive Education. Um, this, this film documentary elevates compelling stories of community, academic, public health partnerships at the center of COVID-19's equity response. And uh, the showing the additional screenings um, are uh, listed in the director's report. So I th thought that might be of interest uh, to the commissioners. Um, really pleased to announce that uh, DPH staff received National Tuberculosis Controllers Association quote, unsung hero awards. So I think an unsung hero is being sung. Um, and this is uh, DPH's own Felix Crespin, who was uh, given this award in recognition for his outstanding service. The San Francisco TB section serves a diverse population, including uh, immigrants from Asia and Central Asia, uh, Central America, people experiencing homelessness or marginally housing concrete settings, and those with uh, substance use disorders. Mr. Crespin goes above and beyond uh, to ensure the TV section provides equitable, respectful, and culturally appropriate services to all clients we serve, and I want to congratulate him on this well-deserved award. Uh, also wanted to highlight uh, that uh, DPH's adult immunization and travel clinic uh, is in full swing as, as uh, interest in international travel has been recovering from pandemic lows. Uh, the adult immunization and travel clinic provides preventive consult preventive consultation vaccines and travel medication prescriptions to persons of all ages going abroad, enabling travels to reduce their risk for health-related conditions and infectious diseases so they can return um, home feeling well. And as before I return to the, part, the department, as someone who took advantage of the AITC services, I can tell you the care is excellent and the staff are superb. 
Um, finally, with regard to COVID-19 update, um, as of August 10th, uh, San Francisco's seven-day average of new COVID cases per day is 49, and uh, there are 37 COVID people in the hospital with COVID. 86% um, of all San Francisco residents have been vaccinated and 65% have received a booster dose. 41% of residents have received a bivalent booster. I'll just say that we are seeing um, a bit of a swell and in increases of cases both across the country, um, in the state and across the, the and, and locally as well. Um, this does not compare to the surges uh, that we've seen in the past. As I think the commission is aware, there is a new variant. Um, that um, is, is accounting for uh, increasing proportion of cases diagnosed. Um, thankfully, the variant does not appear to, um, it, is, it, it, it looks like it's more infectious, but it doesn't uh, create uh, more uh, complications. Our vaccines are still highly protective against hospitalization um, and death, and certainly um, Paxlovid, our main medication for people who do become infected, is still effective as well. And at this time, with regard to uh, booster update series, uh, we are expecting uh, what the CDC is saying now is that an additional booster will be available in October. I think we're still waiting for guidelines about uh, who will be, um, who, for whom that booster will be um, recommended. Thank you. Happy to answer any questions. Um, thank you for that report. And as uh, Secretary Morowitz is getting reoriented there, yes. the trailer for the film was fantastic, and it's playing in two days in the mission. And then, obviously, congratulations to Mr. Crespin. So are there any public comments on the director's report? Yes. Yeah, so are there any public comment on item 10, the director's report in the room? All right. Um, so I see um, several hands. We will take those who have received an accommodation first. Only one person, I believe, has received accommodation. So if you have received a two-letter code from me, then leave your hand up. If not, please take your hand down. It would be great if you all adhere to that. Okay, I'm not seeing any hands, so I guess we'll just take them as we go. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, Jaime, please, um, please try caller three first. Hi, my name is Kathleen Turderis, and thank you for the report. And I'm here to speak about COVID and ask that the commission reinstate the mask requirement for indoor essential spaces, most importantly for healthcare settings. We are currently in a surge. We have very little data to go on to tell how big that surge is other than the wastewater data. And that does show um, a, a surge is happening with the new variant of interest. COVID has spread both symptomatically and asymptomatically. And at least one in 10 people that are infected, even with so-called mild COVID cases, uh, the result is long COVID or po post-COVID disability. Leaving masking as a personal decision is not effective. When someone is infected, we don't know where that chain of infection may lead, and it can cause death and disability in that chain. We offer very little to no public education on COVID or its aftermath. I am a type 1 diabetic, and I know that I'm vulnerable to COVID, and I protect myself, but that leaves me unable to seek safe medical care without masking in the medical and the healthcare facilities. But we have learned that we are all vulnerable to COVID, even so-called the young and healthy, one in 10 to one in 20 um, 
or to one in five will result in disability or post-COVID uh, damage, and that is death and disability. So I implore the committee to keep us safe. Please do your jobs as the health committee to help us protect ourselves and each other, the most vulnerable, and to stop cr creating disability where there is not disability. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. I mean, let's go to uh, the next caller. Please, caller 10. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, you've got three minutes. Please begin. Hi, um, I would also like to respond to the COVID-19 report. Um, it's very clear you're using the same talking points you've used for months now that you've decided to give up on protecting your residents and just rationalize the spread of COVID-19 and mass infection, mass disability, mass death. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you already know whether the new strain is more virulent or not, given that we're just entering into a, a new surge. We also know, like I said, like the previous speaker said, that no matter how mild your case is in the acute phase, you may still experience long COVID in the weeks to months afterwards. We know that even a mild case of COVID can increase your risk of cardiovascular events like blood clots, diabetes, stroke. In fact, people ages 25 to 44 were the, the, the cohort with the highest increase of heart attack deaths. And so I, I'm so concerned because so many people don't know about long COVID or post COVID issues, all they hear from you guys is it's mild, don't worry, you're gonna be okay. While it seems like the booster rates here are higher than they are nationally, they're still way too low. And just like infection, um, it's immunity wanes. So I really urge you, you know, you have this documentary coming out about health equity, but what are you actually doing about health equity now? You guys are leaving people to die and become disabled. Every time I hear a young person who gets long COVID who said, I have had no idea this could happen to me after my third infection, my heart is broken. You guys are not educating people. You're not providing people with the, the, the data to make informed decisions and you are not passing, implementing public health policy based on actual public health and prevention. So I really urge you to reinstate the mask requirement as we are entering into this new surge um, in indoor public spaces, especially healthcare. Please, please do your job. Please protect us. Thank you. All right, thank you. I may please uh, unmute the next caller. Please, that's not you're there, caller. Hi there. I... Hello? Yes, please begin. I too would like to respond to the COVID-19 report and call on you to address the current COVID surge in the Bay Area. The best way to do this is to reinstate countywide mask requirements in indoor public spaces. We know that COVID numbers are currently on the rise, as you said, um, and the new Omicron subvariant is quickly becoming the dominant strain in California. At this point in 2023, we know that a large body of research has confirmed that COVID is not mild. It's airborne and deadly. It attacks the vascular system of the human body on a cellular level. It affects the central nervous system, immune system, and will damage every part of the body receiving blood flow. Worse is that each reinfection causes further damage to everyone of all ages. 
Additionally, COVID is a leading cause of death in children and young people in the United States, which makes a mask mandate especially necessary right now as schools begin amidst this current surge. I also think it's important to re-emphasize what previous callers have stated, that the risks of COVID are not limited to initial infection. We know that even mild infection can cause severe post-viral effects. And we see this through the fact that long COVID is the third leading neurological disorder in the United States, as well as through the fact that COVID has disabled over 23 million people since 2020. Current vaccinations do not protect against long COVID, so vaccine-only approach is not sufficient. Masks are a necessary layer of mitigation here. The more the government allows unmitigated spread, the more variants we will see across the world. COVID will continue to kill and disable people of all ages and backgrounds unless we make a public policy change. We really need you to protect our community here in San Francisco and provide accurate public health information, policies, and tools. It's been really hard to watch society abandon the most vulnerable community members. As an immunocompromised person myself, this breaks my heart to see. And so I'm calling on the health commission to resist this abandonment. COVID is not over and you have the power to keep San Francisco safe and set a precedent for surrounding counties as well. The best way to keep people safe right now is by reinstating a countywide mask requirement in indoor public spaces. Thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you. And uh, Jaime, uh, please unmute the last caller. Hi, uh, my name is Elizabeth. I'm a member of Senior and Disability Action, and I am calling on you to reinstate countywide mask requirements in indoor public spaces. Um, the time is now. We are in a surge. Um, kids are about to go back to school, and many people would be happy to mask if they thought there was a reason to, but they don't know that there is because there's no requirement in place, and many people don't even know that we're in a surge. Um, and with exponential growth, we know that more infectious means more deaths eventually. And um, it just, it feels like we are deliberately deciding not to learn anything, not to implement actions derived from the increased understanding that we have gained. It's really strange uh, and uh, a bit sinister, I think. Um, and I'm horrified that LA has dropped the masking requirement in healthcare. We cannot follow in their shoes. While it's good that San Francisco requires masks for healthcare staff, what we need is a return to universal masking in healthcare. Patients spend as much time around other patients as they do around providers. In waiting rooms, elevators, labs, infusion centers, bathrooms, patients are mostly unmasked. We have lots of evidence to show that one-way masking is much less effective than universal masking. Again, this is information we have. Um, universal masking in healthcare also protects patients from other patients. Uh, we also have to remember that many of the highest risk patients are physically unable to mask, such as people with tracheotomies, infants, people on supplemental oxygen. Um, these community members deserve safe access to healthcare too and the rest of society and universal masking protects those people. Um, they're safer if those around them are wearing masks. Um, and yeah, we're, we're in a bad time. We don't have the tools. There's less publicly available data in San Francisco, making it impossible for the public to accurately assess risk. And Evisheld, the only pre-exposure prophylaxis against COVID for immunocompromised people like me, was pulled in December because it's ineffective against the latest variants. Um, we know that the updated vaccine is not available for another month at least, and marginalized communities have difficulty accessing treatments, tests, and N95s. I just don't understand the reason for such uh, disregard for the vulnerable 
example, you, you've said repeatedly at these meetings that you wanted on-ramps to reinstate masking requirements when needed. The time is now, and if we don't reinstate them, more people are going to die or become disabled by long COVID. This is preventative, and you have a moral imperative to act now. If you care about health equity and access, like it says in this documentary, you need to bring back mask requirements. The time to reinstate them is now. We're in a surge, and we all deserve to safely participate in, in society and get health care. Thank you. All right, that's the last caller. Thank you. All right, thank you all for bringing forward your concerns. Are there any questions or comments on the director's report from the commissioners? All right, hearing none, thank you so much. And the next item on the agenda is the report from the Community and Public Health Committee. Thank you very much, Commissioner Green. We had, um, we had an excellent uh, meeting today um, with uh, three uh, presentations from behavioral health. The first was on the uh, behavioral health uh, pipeline of um, students and interns. And uh, just for everyone to try to remember, the internships were across various um, different sites that one who was interested in a DPH behavioral health internship um, had to search. It is now one streamlined, um, it's on one streamlined uh, part of the website. So in the progress in 2022-23, there were 18 um, interns across 12 sites um, and it, which was fabulous. Um, no, there were 23, I'm sorry. This is 18 in the next year. There are 23 students. This year there's 18 students across uh, nine sites and uh, they're doing a lot more outreach to schools, uh, et cetera. Um, their issue in, is in supervision and the ability of the supervisors to be able to carve out the number of hours needed to be able to supervise the interns, which is with all of us is an issue um, who have fellows or interns. It's, it's, it, it should be noted that the multicultural student stipend um, has been, was a formalized policy in 2022 um, and it had a budget of 70,000 and uh, Dr. Cunnins has added 150,000 to that to be able to distribute to the um, to the student interns, which is which is excellent. And these are community-minded behavioral health people um, who are training with us versus training for uh, private practice. Um, the second presentation was on. Um, the Housing Conservatorship Program, which will sunset in December of 23. I think it was interesting to note um, in the presentation that the total of 5150s in the previous year um, reported not just at San Francisco General, but at all of the hospitals was 13,669 individuals um, in uh, 21, 22, uh, there were 13 individuals who had eight or more 5150s in the 12 month prior year, which is 
how you um, are on the road to housing conservatorship. In the same year, there were 86 individuals who had four or more, more 5150s, and they were notified that they were on a pathway. Um, in 22-23, one petition was filed for housing conservatorship. 12 people were notified that they were on a pathway. The goal of the program has been to help connect these individuals to consistent services. And that presentation was followed by uh, the Assisted Outpatient Treatment Program, which is a companion to the Housing Conservatorship. And th this program is for individuals over the age of 18. And again, the goal is not only the connection, but it is to get ahead of a crisis. So this program is initially voluntary and um, the criteria is two or more psychiatric hospitalizations in 36 months. If, they're, if it's involuntary um, after multiple attempts, then there is court-ordered court outpatient treatment, um, but that has not been regularly needed at all. The referrals mainly come from treatment providers and family members, especially it was noted out-of-state family members who are requesting um, treatment for their family member who was in the city and county of San Francisco. In 21-22, there were 78% of the population within the program were male, age 26 to 59. And there was a higher percentage of black African-Americans in the program. Uh, currently, there are 85 clients in the assisted out-treatment program with two clinicians responsible who have been there for quite a while and um, are, you know, d doing a fabulous job. So it was, it was great to, to hear. Um, the outcomes are consistent connection to care, and we had um, requested uh, that the information be brought back to our committee that um, what the consistency, how long are we able to, con be, to have these people um, continue their care on a consistent basis? Is it six months, 12 months, uh, 24 months? Um, and so the housing conservatorship and the assisted outpatient treatment program are companion programs until December of 2023. So um, they were excellent presentations. Do you have anything more to add, Commissioner? Okay. Anybody have any other questions about this? Thank you for the report. Is there any public comment on the item? Folks on the line, is there any public comment on this item? This is the Community and Public Health Committee report back. Press star three if you'd like to make comment. No hands, commissioners. Right, any other commissioner questions or comments? I, I, I just had one which was uh, because uh, Laura's Law was, uh, I guess, the, the basis for uh, one of those programs. D did the department feel that Laura's Law is actually helping? Yes, 
They mm -hmm. did. They okay, did. good, because mm -hmm. that has been in question yes. uh, when it began, and so it's. Yeah, in uh, yeah. I, I'll add to that. So yes, um, so it looks like people would stay on the program, you know, like, um, after you know, like they were engaged in the program, and um, yeah, so it, it's positive. Great, great, because you know there have been detractors to that, so it's good to hear. Thank you. All right. Um, I guess we'll go to the next agenda item, which is other business. Is there any other business? I see public comment. Um, folks, we're on item 12. If you'd like to make a comment, please press star three on other business. I see a hand, Jaime, oh, actually I did, the hand went away. So no hands, commissioners, no public comment. Then we will entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Is there a second? Second. I believe we can. Make sure there's no public comment. There's no public comment on adjournment. All in favor. Aye. Aye. Thank you, everyone. Very productive, wonderful oh reports. And thank you, Commissioner Green, for facilitating. Thank you, Commissioner. Yes. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for it.